0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono.
1: It's Saturday and that means it's another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva and subbing in for the vacationing Joe Bono is Jim Mojo Morrison. Of course, you can listen to the show live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silver Media and at Jim Mojo Morrison. And check us out on Facebook at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page or go on iTunes and get the show, subscribe to it, get it all for free. And with me is our uh, celebrity uh, guest co host, Jim Mojo Morrison. Mojo? Good morning. How are you?
2: Good morning, Michael. Great to be back. Uh Mojo had a little bit of a hiatus over the last couple of weeks, uh, the health oh, issues oh, a couple of months. I think well, it's you been know,
1: like,
2: uh, two months. I ho- I co-hosted with you. Uh yeah, I guess it was about 2 months ago. And believe it or not, it's it's kind of weird. And uh, you know, you and I talk off the air, but for those who don't follow me, you know, off the show like you know, most people should, I you know, I had issues with my teeth. I had emergency uh, oral surgery one Saturday. I lost power one Saturday, had no uh, phone service. We had a huge storm down in North Carolina
1: has nothing to do with the fact that you and Joe Bono had a lover's quarrel.
2: No, it has nothing to do. I'm a pro Joe's a pro Joe and I text each other offline. Joe wished me a happy birthday a couple of weeks ago. It had nothing to do with that. I mean, I just, uh, had some stuff going on. Uh, I, you know, I do, as you know, I do the minor league baseball stuff down here in Charlotte. Sometimes my Saturdays are a little tied up. Uh, got some other things going on uh, down here that I've been pursuing. But now the batteries are recharged. August fifteenth. We're three weeks out from college football about four weeks out from the NFL starting uh, tenant races up there in New York, with both the Mets and the Yankees. I mean, the magic is back in uh, flushing city field has now been re-energized in a matter of a couple of weeks. I mean, we've been killing Sandy Alderson for the last year and a half for not making moves, for keeping his hands in his pocket as far as spending the Wilpon money and he goes out at the trade deadline and makes really a minor move when you think about it. Uribe and Kelly Johnson doesn't really excite you. And then he goes out there and he gets cesspit when the tigers decide to become sellers at the 11th hour at the trade deadline and brings him in. And all of a sudden this team with a few professional bats has been re invigorated. And you look at it, they're four and a half up 10 over 500. And if you're the nationals, you, you're The team that everybody touted, Mike, with the greatest pitching staff of all time when they brought Max Scherzer into the fold uh, over you – know, that's why those narratives that you hear from people in the wintertime, they just make me chuckle all the time. And here you are, Washington, just a game over 500 on August 15th, uh, four and a half behind the Mets, four in the loss column. And it it looks like it's going to be an exciting uh, seven weeks down the stretch for the New York baseball fans with both the Mets and the Yankees really uh, vying for uh, legitimate uh, postseason uh, spots.
1: Yep, and Carlos Beltran with a big hit, intense game in Toronto. You know, Yankees fans went from – uh, and especially all week, when you look at all week, they, they're starting to get a little bit agitated about what looked to be a Toronto runaway train. Um, and then last night, I think, was one of those regular season games. There's not many of them until you really get down to the nitty-gritty where you're like, okay, this is a must-win, and, and you really get into it. Because baseball is a marathon. It's a it's a lazy hammock summer afternoon or 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 summer evening, and you watch the game, and you get into it, but – you don't really panic if you're one of the contenders, especially now with a second wild card. You don't really panic about a loss until you get down. And I think last night you saw two very good baseball games in New York. It's been a fun week of the pen races. But you know what, Mojo? Uh, although we have a lot of baseball to get to, and we have uh, what many Mets fans and, uh, and if you're a Reds fan, you would remember him joining us later in the 11 o'clock hour. Doug Flynn will be joining us. Doug is a uh, both on television and radio a broadcaster for the Reds. So he's still current. He still checks up and and catches in on the league and, and follows the league and he was at City Field a couple of weeks ago when the Nationals yeah, the yeah, he was there yeah, the night I was there. Yeah, he was there the night I was there on reunite. August 2nd. Yep, exactly. So he'll be joining us but you know the real story this week if you want to recap the week that was and my, my all my intentions was for you and I we had Christian Dyer Joe and I on last week. We talked jets, we got a little update from the early days of training camp. I know the first preseason games were this week. I wanted to do a Giants segment, and that was my goal on Monday, Mojo. We were going to do a Giants segment, and it's really throughout training camp, to go back and forth and do a little bit of highlighting of, you know, both teams, and then you and I could take, you know, whoever, whatever guess we get for the Jets or Giants, and the, you know, we'll take the opposite. You and I'll handle it, just to kind of go back and forth. But the Jets gave you news, and they gave you the kind of news. It's like, you know, the Mets are always seem to be the story, not the Yankees, but the Jets give you the news. And not only were the jets the news, and the guy that has always been this polarizing topic ever since he came uh, on board as the second round pick three years ago. but yours truly gets into the mix. Just by simply criticizing Geno Smith, you would think that I uh, all of a sudden I was going to have Al Sharpton, and all the protesters in front of my humble abode here out on Long Island. Uh, I get involved in it. but the long and the short of it' Joe to recap for those who aren't on Twitter right, To those don't follow, you or I on Twitter. So Geno Smith goes out and he decks. Basically, uh, uh, a no-name special teams uh, uh, player who seems to be, when you read all accounts, a pretty good guy. In Empoli, right? Ik in Empoli. This, is, this Ik in Empoli. Yes. Empoli. I mean, I mean. It, 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 basically, I got to practice. You know, and I'm pretty good at names. I got to practice 97 ways to Sunday to get his name. You know, this guy tries to invite Geno Smith to a camp for kids. Uh, he's a guy making the league minimum in the NFL. And anybody who knows the NFL, this is not baseball. You know, you're not guaranteed anything. You could be cut and, and penniless tomorrow. And not only does Geno Smith not show up, he claims it's for a, uh, personal reasons for a funeral. So be it. Sifts the guy out of $600, doesn't get back to him. The kids are looking for Geno Smith. This guy looks like a fool in front of his his camp. And and you know the lead a leader of a team quite simply doesn't do those kind of things. You know they. Maybe you can't show up, but at least you try to make good on that or communicate. And then on top of it, you get into a fight as the quarterback of the future, quote-unquote, the leader of the team, you know, and you get decked. You break your jaw. Now you're out, you know, six to ten weeks. Uh, You throw the team into a little bit of chaos. And here's the bottom line, though, Mojo, and this is where it started for me. Two things that got me into some hot water. First, this guy Ike Ike in Impali, he should be the team MVP because he just saved Todd Bowles Mike McCagney and the Jets, a lot of grief because because of the fact that Geno Smith is a second-round pick. That's the reason why they've been pushing this guy. There's been no indication over two years that this guy has any, anything close to an answer. Forget the game against the Dolphins at the end of the year. And you hear how great he looked in shorts the last couple of weeks. He's done that before. They were going to be forced to go at least a quarter of this season because he's a second-round pick, because he has the quote-unquote potential, and who knows? Maybe put themselves behind the eight ball because he probably wasn't going to give you anything more than he's given you in prior years. Geno Smith, they were going to be forced. This guy knocking him out gives the Jets an easy out. Now they could go to a, a, a game manager in Ryan Fitzpatrick. It doesn't have to be about Geno anymore. It's almost like he got Rex out of the building now, who's trying to still be relevant. And I know we'll get to that, but you got the other distraction out of the building in Geno Smith. He's you know he's irrelevant now. Now you go forward, Mojo. And you make it about football. And well, here's what the two things that got me hot water. First, sarcastically saying that IK should be the MVP of the Jets for Dick and Gino, you know, because uh, apparently Gino was quote unquote assaulted. And then because you know he's represented by Jay Z, I said he's nothing but a, a loser hip hop quarterback. You know, a genre of, of a cultural genre that promotes disrespect, um, you know, lack of discipline. I mean, and they everybody turned it into well, you're you're saying that because he's black, it had nothing to do with it. I you know, got Black Sports Online calling me. Uh, Uh, a racist. And I said to myself, you know, it's funny. I always said the same thing about Johnny Manziel. I got to tell you the truth, Mojo. Uh, And I've said, I've called many people of different uh, racial backgrounds losers because he is a loser. And you know what, Mojo? Not many people get a chance to make $1.3 million to quarterback a football team and not just get one, not just get two, get three chances to prove themselves in the game of, uh, of any sport, especially the NFL. This guy was handed a job on a silver platter, and you know what? The way he's treated it, the way he's gone about his job, not showing up prepared, being late, showing a lack of leadership, sometimes a lack of passion, to be honest with you, that is a loser, in my opinion. And that, you know, that, that to me is the, the thesis of everything. But the long and the short of it, Mojo, and I know you're going to agree, and it's not going to make for good radio, the best thing that could happen to the Jets.
2: You know, Mike... I- Everybody that's followed me, between Jets Insider, that I did it uh, with Sean Deegan, the Jets Insider radio show that we had um, for a number of years, my show on Champions Radio, uh, between my Jets pregame show and my, my midday show, my time with you and Joe last year uh, doing uh, the picks and, and, and the, Mo- the Mojo Minute And I've always said from day one, since the day that they picked him in the second round when he plummeted from the first round where he was supposed to be the number one overall pick to the Jets trading up on day two to get him, that was the biggest mistake I've ever seen a football team make. They had just given Mark Sanchez uh, the contract extension that winter, and they go and draft this kid in the second round out of West Virginia, and there was a reason why he plummeted. If you watched him in college, you watched his skill set, you saw a lot of the things that you're seeing over the last couple of years, and in the locker room, it, it, it's just a maturity thing, it's a leadership thing, and I said, made a mistake. This guy is not a NFL starting franchise quarterback. And I took a lot of hits. The Jets force fed him in there. They, you know, they got Sanchez hurt, however you want to, you know, Spin what happened to Sanchez, how he got the job, because he didn't outplay him that first year. They so had the fortunate eight and eight year. And then it, the last uh, year was just a disaster. The turnovers, uh, the inability to matriculate when games matter. You know, and then everybody wants to look at those two games at the end of the season, the last two years with the Dolphins, when Miami had basically packed it in the meaningless week 17 You know, onslaught, oh, this is what we've got. He's the future, the weapons. You know, they made so many excuses for this guy. But the bottom line is character matters at the quarterback position in the NFL besides the skill set. And when you look at the last 15 years, Go through other than Ben Roethlisberger, you really don't have any quarterback that has won a Super Bowl that's been a major character problem. You know, I mean, maybe you want to argue about Brady cheating with the Flake Eight, which you know, you and I have talked about is just a whole nonsense thing with all of that. But all of these guys Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Eli, Peyton, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Trent Dilfer going up back in the day, Flacco, these are all guys that are high character and it has nothing to do with black and white i mean because donovan McNabb was a high character guy with the philadelphia eagles i mean he got them to a super bowl he's he's an upstanding guy i mean russell wilson is a high character guy Geno Smith has been coached with the right talking points by Jay Z and the whole rock nation there. But at the end of the day, it's just a facade because he doesn't live what he preaches. And when you look I mean, at look, the look, fact that he's more interested,
1: he's more interested in an Instagram post with his like err, you know, kind of like looking, you know, ferociously into the picture. Stop with the post, stop with the narrative, stop with the, the PR stuff. This isn't a music video. And I know that's what his 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 agency is about entertainment, and he has sports and entertainment. When you're leading a football team and when you're trying to build something here, you are the foundation. You take away the quarterback, it's like a car without an engine. It could be the nicest car in the world. It's just going to sit on the side of the road, Mojo. That's it. And here's the thing. Is Ryan Fitzpatrick the answer? Probably not. He's bounced around. But you know what's something, that Mojo? So did Vinny Testaverdi when he came here in 1998. He bounced around a lot. And I'm not suggesting that Fitzpatrick will be... Uh, Vinny Testaverdi and lead the Jets to the AFC uh, the Conference Finals. I'm not saying that. I don't know. Ironically, you mentioned Mark Sanchez. You're back to where you were with Sanchez, a game manager, a ball control quarterback. That's what they want. They're going to run the ball. Um, they're going to obviously feature Brandon Marshall and some of the Eric Decker and the offensive talent that they have uh, in tow. And they're going to try to win games with their defense. So they're going to try to win. Todd Bowles is going to try to win games 17-13. You and I spoke off there. You mentioned the Arizona Cardinals. There's what you saw last year. And the Arizona Cardinals had a nice year. They, didn't, they flamed out in the playoffs. They didn't have enough offense. And well, they, they and had the a, they had a the practice ball. squad quarterback
2: at that point, uh, you know, playing on the road. Right.
1: But you, but you could win. You could compete with a ball. It, it, uh, although we've gone to the fantasy football route in the NFL, you call it correctly the John Madden NFL now because you could win games, you know, 37-30 and it's all about the 4,000-yard, 3,000-yard, 5,000-yard passers, I still think that if you control the off- uh, offense, you have a good ground game, you could still win. And maybe I'm wrong, Mojo. Maybe this is an answer quite a way. Maybe I'm looking at this like uh, in the NBA where I would, I would say that the, the old Knicks could win uh, in the current NBA even though it's a, it's a different game than it was 20 years ago. I still think in the NFL you have to be able to have a passing game. You have to be able to score some points. Can you win twenty thirteen? Can you win seventeen thirteen? Rex tried to do it and it didn't work, but I, I don't know. I think Rex was the extreme case. And Rex didn't have as much talent on offense the last couple of years as Todd Bowles has.
2: Well you look at the Jets, no matter who the head coach is, they always seem to be the one team that is resistant of joining the 21st century NFL you know they are the team that's going to go back to the old school three yards in a cloud of dust the ground and pound however you want to uh, describe the offense they bring in these defensive minded coaches time after time who want to get it done with the running game the ball control and just you know the play action type of uh, performance from the quarterback you know the Chad Pennington's the Mark Sanchez's the guys that just Try to uh, you know just not make mistakes and not lose the game and turn it over to a a stellar or stout defense and I think that's what's going to be the solution for the New York Jets if they're going to be successful in 2015. I mean the defensive line Sheldon Richardson has got to be a major question mark is f- whether or not he's going to even get on the field. Uh, he has the four game suspension definitely. Will Roger Goodell give him more after the incident in Missouri with the you know the the traffic stop and the young kid in the car and the marijuana and all that other stuff that they allegedly found in the car with him. You, you don't know what's going to happen with him. You have the number one pick, Williams, out of USC, which at the time I was criticized by certain members of that listened to this show that said, well, you know, that was not a good pick. And I said it was a great pick. You got the best player regardless of position. Now this kid's going to get a chance to now perform because – you now you need them and exactly. And then you got Mo Wilkerson, who I think is being in the pro's pro. Now there's a leader, uh, Mike, a guy who's not happy with his contract situation. Thinks he deserves J.J. Watt money. Thinks he deserves atomic and sue money. Uh, I don't think he deserves that level of money, but he is a franchise type of defensive lineman. He's a very good one, and he's there. He's not going to talk about his contract. He's going to come out there. He's going to perform and let things fall the way they may, but you got Mo Wilkerson there, and that's the type of guy that you look to as a team leader. You know, you have a guy like Geno Smith, and and the thing that really alarms you and befuddles you is there's nobody really, like, taking, you know, his side or having his back on this situation. You know, it's kind of like both guys were wrong, but a lot of people were like, you know, hey, he exacerbated this problem. He caused this.
1: Nobody nobody in that locker room cares. He's yesterday's news. He's yesterday's news. You think Tom Brady's yesterday's news in the New England Patriots locker room? Sure, they're going to say, hey, we're going to win. We have to move forward, things like that. Of course not. I mean, this is not. The fact of the matter is, and you're seeing this, and you want to make a baseball comparison. Look at the Washington Nationals, because they're going to be a theme for a lot of, uh, of, of fans in New York and any sport that like to talk about, well, next year, let's develop the quarterback, and it's about the por- developing the quarterback. Look, not everybody's going to be Peyton Manning. But um, Eli Manning had a bad first six weeks of his career. But three years in, Mojo, he was a pretty good quarterback, and he was leading the Giants in the playoffs, and he won a Super Bowl. What was it, year four he won a Super Bowl? Yes, he did. We're, you know, Gino, Smith, Gino Smith's nowhere close to that. He's nowhere close to that, and nobody in that locker room cares. You know, not Darrell Rivas, not Willie Colon. Nobody cares, and this has nothing to do with the fact that Fitzpatrick is white, and, and and educated and Geno's not has nothing to do has to do with character because you know what last I look Russell Wilson's black and I think if Russell Wilson was in the uh, the Jets uh, locker room I think he certainly would be looked at as a leader and I think if I Russell would, Wilson went down I don't think anybody would consider him a quote unquote hip hop quarterback and has nothing to do with the way that they're the music they listen to that's to do with the attitude and the bling and the and the and the agency. And the fact that it's never been, other than the, the, the narratives and the talking points, it's never been about the team. Because you know what? Regardless of what Rex did or didn't do here, if you're truly a quarterback destined to be a leader, I'm not saying the top ten, top five quarterback, you wouldn't be forgetting what time it is in San Diego last year. You just, what? Well,
2: that, 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 I was going to make that point. I was going to go back there. You just look at that. I mean, that's just, again, the CEO of your team, the face of your team is always your quarterback. And when that guy can't tell time, and figure out how to get to a meeting with the rest of the guys. I mean, that just tells you all you need to know. How is he going to matriculate a team up and down the field? How is he going to make the adjustments? How is he going to read defenses? He can't tell time. He can't get to a right. meeting on time. And you know, the way they shrugged it off is it was a mistake and everything like that. But you don't make mistakes like that when you are the starting quarterback of a team in the National Football League, there's 32 guys privileged enough to have those positions, and this guy has done nothing to warrant holding on to this position, other than default, and that people want to make excuses for him, and people want to, oh, you know, they want to make it happen. It's like you know. I want a million dollars, okay? And I go out there and buy lottery tickets every week and, and pray that, I want to, that I'm going to get a million dollars. Well, is it right. smart to me to spend my entire paycheck every week buying lottery tickets in hopes of getting a million dollars? You know, it's almost what the Jets fans want with this guy. It's like they want to hit the lottery with this guy, and they're going to keep throwing them out there in hopes that they're going to be proven right somehow. But you look at the number two picks the Jets have spent in quarterbacks over the years, Browning Nagel and Kellen Clements. You look at Vlad DeCoste was a number one, a number two pick. And you look at Stephen Hill was a number two pick. I mean, they've had a lot of bad number two picks. And just because you picked him number two doesn't mean he's any good. I mean, it also can look mean that Chad the guy Pennington, that picked him.
1: One of your favorites, Chad Pennington wasn't a renowned quarterback out of college, out of Marshall. He wasn't a top five pick. Turned out to be, you know, if he didn't get hurt, he's a pretty darn solid quarterback. Pretty darn solid quarterback,
2: Right. I mean, you look at Tom you, you look at where Tom Brady was picked. I mean, all the people that passed on Tom Brady. I mean, Russell Wilson was a third rounder. Drew Brees was not a first rounder. I mean there's a lot of guys it's a matter of Tony Romo wasn't a first rounder. Guys, it's where they can fit in, how they matriculate, how they transcend into the NFL game. And a lot of these guys in college, they come from these you know these spread offenses, these systems that they run in college. They're not developed for NFL type offense and they come in and everybody's in love with their numbers in college. And they just don't look at the whole picture. You know, it's like, the argument in baseball, Mike, like the saber metrics mess argument versus the, you know, the the scout that goes and looks at the kid and sees what he has, his bat speed, his hand speed, his heart, his, you know, his work ethic. Those are things that don't go into saber metrics in baseball. And these are things in football. When you look at these guys coming out of college with these big numbers, these gaudy statistics, they don't translate a lot of the times into the NFL game because it's a whole different factor. And, That's what people don't get with a guy like Geno Smith. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, the Jets have to keep him around at this point because there's nothing better, you know, on the roster. I think if they had the ability to cut him, I think Todd Bowles would get rid of him at this point, just be done with him and let him go. But, you know, right now he's looking to come back, you know, halfway through five, six weeks into the season, if all goes well. And you hope at that point, that you don't even need to worry about him, that Geno Smith is an afterthought that Ryan Fitzpatrick has taken full command of this offense. He gets off to the type of start he got under uh, when Chan Gailey was his head coach in Buffalo, where he got the big money and the big contract that year in Buffalo. I mean, the thing that worries you about Fitzpatrick is he's a turnover machine. Uh, year in and year out, he's got problems holding onto the ball. Hey, so, is if he, Vinny,
1: so is Vinny Testaverdi remember
2: that no no I and I'm not yes I'm saying that's the thing that you have to worry about with Fitzpatrick but he's got the running game hopefully with the way they've you know try to address the offensive line in the offseason with some of the additions they have they've got some pretty decent running backs hopefully have some depth there uh with the guys that they brought in you've got Decker with Marshall now so you know and you've got Curley and the kid from Ohio State. Uh, Smith. You're hoping that that spreads things out, which will open up the running game where they can't load the box with eight guys. And you hope that Fitzpatrick can, you know, get him up and down the field, use the running game, use the play action, take some shots here and there uh, with the kid Smith down the field. If he's healthy and and just hope that that's what transpires, that Galey gets the most out of Fitzpatrick. He re- uh, discovers the fountain of youth and there you have the formula and you have a defense, you know, led by this new secondary, bring in Cromarty and Revis and Screen, who's been very good in training camp thus far, and get Todd Bowles to be Todd Bowles and work his magic with the defense. And that's how they're going to, and you know, the kicker, Nick Folk, uh, doing his thing. You hope he has another good year. And that's going to be your formula to win games. And in a division, uh, that's going to be pretty much improved. You got the Bills that are looking to make a move. Miami made some good moves. Uh, The Patriots are still going to be the Patriots, regardless of what happens with Brady. I mean, the Jets got their work cut out for them in their division. The schedule is going to be, you know, kind of tough to start the year uh, when you look at w- who they match up with and how they have their, you know, their games. I mean, they're going to have to you know, really come out of the, the shoot playing well or else they're going to have a disaster one and three type of start. And then, as you know, in the National Football League, you really don't recover from those type of starts. You need to get yep. off to a good start to get things rolling. And uh, I think that this, like you said, Mike, was a blessing in disguise because we're not going to debate. You know, should Gino be the quarterback? Are we developing Gino? Fitzpatrick's the guy. He's getting the reps. Bryce Petty is going to get reps as the guy that they drafted that may be the future down the road. Uh, the redshirt year, more or less, for Bryce Petty. If they bring in a veteran just in case Petty's not ready. Yeah, but I think that this is a situation where we're not debating Geno Smith anymore other than today uh, as we try to put this to bed. And we look and see how this thing uh, matriculates going forward as far as the Jets putting the pieces of the puzzle together, getting ready for the uh, Cleveland Browns in week number one.
1: All right. Well, we're going to hear from Brian Costello of the New York Post. He's our first guest here in the 10 o'clock hour. We'll hear what Brian uh, has to say. Wild week if you're a Jets beat reporter. Uh, at Brian Cause on Twitter. Later on, like I said, in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll have Doug Flynn, Reds broadcaster, former big leaguer. You guys know him. Uh, the infamous uh, Midnight Massacre back in 1977 with Tom Seaver. He came back as part of the package. He'll talk a little bit about the pennant race. He was at City Field a couple of weeks ago, having played for the Big Red Machine. I think it's uh, an interesting perspective to hear from uh, a former player about some of the things that we're talking about. You know, the, the changes that have Occurred in the Mets clubhouse as they all of a sudden have taken somewhat control of the NL East and whether or not last night's win uh, for the Yankees against Toronto could be momentum changer. So trying to bust some of the narratives that at times uh, come out of uh, those who have not yet played the game or haven't played the game at all during their lives. So anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we return, Brian Costell, the New York Post. You are listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for Joe Bono. Uh, Call us at 646-716-8187 or listen to us live or replay at WeekendWatchdogs.com. We'll be right back.
3: A disagreement between the Weekend Watchdogs starts with a growl. (laughs) Money does not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract.
1: They will spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a 25-man roster with the way that the... The salaries are going...
3: Leads to a bark.
1: The New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big play. They did that, but they're And they're, they're not joke. done this
3: offseason. And ends with a bite.
1: They can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect hit with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot.
3: Tune in to the Weekend
1: Watchdog
3: Saturday 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio.
1: Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in this week. And uh, I know we talked Jets last week, but you know what? The Jets continue to give us a lot to talk about. And joining us, uh, the beat reporter for the Jets for the New York Post, Brian Costello. Brian, Mike Silva, Jim Mojo Morrison, uh, how you doing? Busy week for you, huh?
4: Yeah, it's been a uh, quite interesting week, guys. Uh,
1: let, let's start with the, the quarterback situation. Um, look, who knows whose fault is what? It certainly was a bad uh, leadership move by Geno Smith, but the feeling you get um, in reading a lot of uh, the quotes coming out of the locker room, and I know that some of that is, is, is just PR and and sanitizing themselves for the media, this is not, losing Geno Smith is not going to all of a sudden derail the Jets and, and what they're trying to accomplish this year.
4: Yeah, I think part of that's the timing of, of it. You know, I think if this was in the middle of the year, you'd, you'd see the players being a little more concerned about where they're at, but they have You know, this happened before the first preseason game. So, basically, you know, they they have a ton of time to prepare for this. And the guys I've talked to said, you know, they're just treating this like any other injury. And it's kind of the mentality of the NFL. Next man up, you hear all the time the cliche, but it really is how these guys think. And, um, you know, they don't seem overly concerned, and they think they can handle this and move on. And I thought they moved on pretty quickly this week. It seemed like, you know, Tuesday there was a lot of shock. Um, but by Thursday when we talked to them you know, after the game, they, they, they weren't overly concerned
0: about it.
2: Brian, we're talking with Brian Costello, Jets beat reporter for the New York Post. The other story, and I read your story this morning uh, in uh, today's post, the man who's gone but certainly has not forgotten the New York Jets, former head coach Rex Ryan, he goes out. What do you make of him signing IK and Polly and then his – Story that came out yesterday that you wrote about that Woody wanted him here for the next 20 years, but you and the rest of the beat writers would not have allowed that.
4: <laughs> well, the IK move was classic Rex. Uh, I was mad at myself for not predicting it on Tuesday when, when it happened because this, this is what Rex does. Um, you know, I'm sure he was excited when they, he saw IK was getting cut. It's obviously a player that he liked, uh, and you know, contrary to what he would have us believe about John Idzik, I guess Rex did have. Some say in those draft picks that year because he jumped on them as soon as he could. The uh, the seven the Rex quotes that came out today that's actually from an HBO interview that's going to air next week. Uh, I'm not sure when he said these quotes. You know they they're just sending their HBO is sending them out now. to get some advanced press before the show. Um, but it, you know it, it makes me laugh. I you know I don't think any coach ever got a free ride in Rex Ryan off of a 4-12 season and off of four years of non-playoff, non-winning football. Um, the media here was, and myself included in this, was very easy on Rex. Uh, he was a, he's a very nice guy. He was good to us. And, you know, we probably shouldn't have let that influence our coverage, but I think we did in hindsight. Uh, you know, I have some regrets about how I covered last year because I think I could have been harder on Rex. And, um, you know, and for him to say it was the media is funny because – you guys remember the, 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 what the coverage was like last year. It was primarily about John Idzik and not about Rex Ryan, and Rex deserves blame for what happened in the last four years, and he doesn't seem to want to accept that at all. Uh, as far as Woody wanted to keep him, you know, Woody Johnson could do what he wants to do. He, he couldn't keep him because what general manager would have come into that situation if they kept Rex Ryan again? You know, they had a hard enough time hiring a GM when they hired Idzik, what GM's going to want to now come in and, and work in that situation where he saw what happened to Idzik, where there's planes flying over the building, um, you know, calling for his firing, and, you know, they they wouldn't be able to hire anyone. That's why Rex had to go ultimately. If you weren't going to fire him on his merits, like he's arguing, uh, you know, there, there was no way they could have hired a GM again.
1: Joining us is uh, Jets beat reporter for the New York Post, Brian Costello, at Brian Kaz on uh, Twitter in a league that's like John Madden video game football where you know you got uh, you know everybody's throwing for uh, 3000 yards uh the jets look to be taking a different approach not so much because you know smith is gone but it looks like the running game the ground and pound uh, didn't make its way up north to buffalo it's uh, it's sticking around a little bit here
4: yeah you know that, that's kind of been what they've talked about all uh Offseason is establishing the run, and but you know Thursday night was our first real glimpse at the offense. And granted, it's only one series, nine plays, but they ran the ball six times. So I think they made it clear that this is what they want to do. And you know, I talked to some some of the offensive linemen after, and they said that this is going to be our identity. You know, we're going to run run the ball, um, you know, establish the games that way. And I think they'll rely on some short passing. And I don't think this has to do with, like you said, I don't think this has to do with Geno Smith or Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think this is just the way they think they can win games. Um, you know, it's going to be the formula of play great defense, run the ball well, and hope the quarterback doesn't screw it up regardless of who that quarterback is.
1: And, Brian, you know you're always one hit away from, from needing another quarterback. And, and, again, they're not losing a lot maybe with uh, Fitzpatrick because of the way they're going about it. But you got a rookie, Bryce Petty. Uh, you do hear some names, Matt Flynn, Rex Grossman, being bandied about mm-hmm. veterans to bring in.
5: Well, what,
1: I mean, it's very soon. And it's probably speculative. But what what do you feel? Are they, do they have? They probably have to bring in a veteran, no matter how much negativity some of those names are connotated yeah. with because of prior uh, prior experiences.
4: Yeah, they have to bring someone in by September 13th. That's my feeling. They have to have someone there just in case Fitzpatrick goes down because Patty's not ready. Uh, you know, if you watched the game the other night, you saw that. And if you watch practice every day like we do, you see that. Um, you know, I think he could be good in a while. He's got a great arm, but he, he's right now it's a big adjustment for him from the offensive Baylor. So you need someone who's a good professional to come in. And those guys, aren't, like you mentioned, are not going to um, elicit cheers, but they are professionals. They've been around a while. They should be able to handle the offense if they had to. Uh, I don't think the Jets are in a rush, though. I think they they like this kind of, you know, Petty's getting a lot of reps now, a lot more reps than he would have gotten. So that's probably good for him. You you know, uh, the other night Todd Bowles said Petty's not going to get any better holding the clipboard. So I think they're happy that he's getting these reps, and maybe they let him get these reps for another week, week and a half, or something like that, and then bring someone in. Or they can wait until roster cuts come down. uh, That would be another, like, three weeks, and see what shakes loose there. And then maybe there's a quarterback cut somewhere that they like you know matt sims makes a lot of sense that the bills cut him he obviously has been here he was learning the offense in the spring and things didn't end very well between sims and the team so i don't know how that would go but if he's looking for a job i'm sure he would come back if, if they asked him to i know if they claimed him so um you know i think this i don't know if they're going to rush into anything right now i think they're just kind of exploring their options
2: Brian Costello, Jets beat reporter from the New York Post, joining us here on the weekend watchdog. Brian, if the Jets are going to have any success, it's going to be defense carrying this team in 2015. Not that you put any credence in the first preseason game, but that first unit didn't look as spectacular. Obviously, they were missing Mo. Sheldon Richardson didn't start because of the suspension. What do you make of Mo, the injury and the contract? Is that going to affect, in your opinion, the way he performs this year? And what do you think happens ultimately with Sheldon Richardson? Does he get on the field after four weeks, or do you think that there's going to be other ramifications for uh, his behavior off the field?
4: Yeah, with Mo, you know, I think he'll be all right. I, I think, you know, this hamstring thing, they're just taking their time with it. There's no reason to rush him back in training camp, but I, I don't anticipate the contract being a problem once the season comes. Obviously he wants to get paid, but Mo is a um, team-first guy. You know, He showed that by coming to training camp uh, on time, not holding out. He He's made it clear he does not want to talk to us about his contract anymore. He talked about it that one time at the beginning of training camp, but he's not going to the media to make us think about it. He actually hasn't even Spoken to us uh, since then, which is a violation of the league's media policy. So he's really, you know, doesn't want to talk about it. So I think I think that'll be a problem. As far as Sheldon, it's hard to predict what they're going to do there, but I think you know he's going to get something more than the four games. They're, they're, he'll miss some time. I don't know how much, but um, he's not going to get off with just this four-game suspension. They're going to do something for the arrest where he was speeding uh, and with the. possibly marijuana in the car, gun in the car, and a 12-year-old in the car. Uh, He's gonna get something from the
2: NFL on that. As far as the new head coach, Todd Bowles, is concerned, seems more of a no-nonsense guy. I got a chance during the Rex era to be there uh, many, many times covering between Jets Insider and my time up at Champions Radio. Uh, What is the difference between the training camp of Todd Bowles and Rex? And the other question I had, being in Florham Park versus Cortland, how are the how are the differences, uh, Brian? Thus far, that you could observe
4: uh, with the coaches, um, you know, I, I think you're right. Todd is a, a little more no, no nonsense than Rex. Rex likes to have a lot of fun during practice. At times, there's been no dizzy bat races or anything like that so far. Uh, and the other day, he stopped practice and made them run sprints, which. I saw that once under Rex when there were when there were fights he did that one year in Cortland, but I've never I've never seen that for performance reasons. And Bowles wasn't happy with practice and just stopped it and made them run sprints for a while. Uh, so that was different. Um, as far as Cortland versus Florin Park, I think the biggest differences are off the field. In Cortland, there was nothing for them to do, so they had to kind of hang out together and like on a day off. They always just hang out together, or go to the movies, or, or go eat, re- go to a restaurant together. In Florida Park, they're still staying in a hotel, so there's a lot of togetherness. And when there's they're there from you know nine in the morning until ten at night, so there's a lot of together time. But uh, someone told me, you know, the days off is what the Jets are concerned about. Like that, they these guys can go kind of go their separate ways, and that maybe that bonding that happens in Cortland is not going to happen here. Personally, I think the bonding thing was overrated. Uh, look at the records the last few years when they went to Cortland. It didn't didn't really translate into wins. Yeah, I agree. I think, you're, I think you're either a good team or a bad team, man. And I think you know chemistry and bonding and that stuff happens when you win games. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think it's that that important to be uh, holed up in upstate New York, you know, forced to to go to Applebee's together. So uh, <laughs> I think they'll be fine practicing the floor on blocks.
1: Brian, last one before we let you go because I know you got to run. Um, you predicted all 53 players in the Jets' final roster earlier in the week. Anybody under the radar, nobody's talking about that uh, you feel um, you know might make some noise here in camp? I mean, there's only so much you can write about uh, and listen yeah. to Rex. There's always those little stories that maybe they won't make an impact on a, in a big way during the season, but somebody that might uh, get into the mix for a roster spot that you're looking at.
4: Oh, uh, Probably the guy that my long shot that I put on the 52 is Deshaun Phillips, a cornerback. He's... He's made some plays in practice, and Bobby April, the special team coach the other day, was talking about him and was very impressed by what he's seen by him. Uh, so I could see him making making the roster kind of a surprise. and not, not many people know who he is. The other aspect that I think will make an impact on the team is the um, backup linebacker spot. You know, the last few years, the Jets have been really thin at inside linebacker, and they've been lucky that David Harris and DeMario Davis haven't gotten hurt because they had, you know, Nick Ballore, who was more of a special teams guy, uh, was there, but not really a linebacker. They would have been in trouble if Ballore had to start a string of games at a linebacker. Now um, one of Mike McKagan's more underrated moves, I thought, was what he did at that position, bringing in Aaron Henderson, Joe Mays, Jamari Lattimore who were all experienced guys. And then Tawan Jones out of Michigan State, the undrafted free agency, looked pretty good too. They got a lot of guys there fighting for, I would think, two spots. Um and I think you know, if they, if they ever had an injury at that position, they'd be all right. They, they, they've got a pretty impressive depth there, and that's something I had not seen in my time covering the Jets. I can't remember a time where they were good at that position beyond the starters. And I think that could help special teams too because athletic linebackers can contribute in a lot of ways on special teams.
1: Brian, you got anything coming up? I know on Twitter, at Brian Coz, anything you want to let the listeners know about uh, that you got going on in the next few weeks?
4: Just a lot of training camp stories. <laughs> keep checking in my post.com and my Twitter feed and you'll see them. You know,
2: I, I, Brian, Ian Eagle joked with me the other day. I was talking to him and he said to me that one thing when you cover the New York Jets, you never have to really be creative to come up with a story <laughs> angle because they just keep giving you ideas and it's the gift that keeps on giving. And uh, it's like covering a soap opera or a reality TV show. I mean, it's just incredible yeah. what goes on in that complex every day.
4: Yeah, well, I always laugh at, you know, I have this Always, I usually wake up with an anxiety of what I'm going to write, even though what you I, what you're say is true, and I've seen that for the last five years. I always wake up, and I come up with ideas, and I, I have a list of training camp ideas I do in July, and and then something always happens. Like, you know, I, the, the the other day, I had a really good, uh, I was writing a column on the day that the Geno News came out, and I, was, I had researched Chan Gailey, and I had all these stats and numbers, and ready to go about Chan Gailey and Gino and the partnership and what that would mean. And then Todd Bowles came down and said, Gino broke his jaw and all that. All those stats are are still in my computer somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of crazy. You got it. You, you, you you walk in every day and you don't know what's going to happen.
1: For sure. Well, listen, thanks a lot for a few minutes of your time. Uh, Enjoy the rest of training camp. Let's catch up as the season goes on. And uh, thank you again.
4: All right. Thanks guys. Thanks,
1: Thanks, Brian. Uh, Take care, Brian.
4: Appreciate it. All right. Thanks guys.
1: That's Brian Costello joining us here on the Weekend Watchdogs at Brian Coz on uh, on Twitter. Appreciate a few minutes of uh, his time this morning. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll uh, we we'll, we'll stay with the football theme as we go into the end of the ten o'clock hour. Remember eleven o'clock. We'll uh, we'll transition to baseball. Doug Flynn, uh, former Met, former Reds uh, player, Gold Glover, Actually, won a Gold Glove with the Mets. I've currently, Reds broadcaster. We'll whet our appetite, talk a little bit about baseball, uh, get a chance to catch up on a former player, always fun to do that. We'll talk about the Mets, big win for the Yankees last night, big series for the Yankees. Are the Mets breaking away in the NLE? So plenty of baseball if you're looking for it, but we'll stick with the football and uh, we'll react to what Brian said. I think he gave us a couple of really good nuggets. And uh, we'll also get into the Giants who had their first uh, preseason game last night. You are listening to the Weekend Watchdogs Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for Joe Bono 646-716-8187 we'll take some calls if you want to chime in if you're listening live after the break or listen to us live or replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be right back.
0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono every Saturday between 10 and noon. Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the weekend sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to weekendwatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono.
1: Mike Silva, Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for Joe Bono. We just had Brian Costello of the New York Post joining us. And uh, Mojo, he gave us, I think, one really interesting general nugget, not just a Jets-related nugget, but something that I have been saying a lot in this town, is that as a beat writer, because of the way the job is now, you have that balance, and you spent this couple of seasons spending a lot of time at forum Park, so you know this liking the coach and covering the coach or anybody on a a team or an organization really is a conflict of interest it's almost like you have to be close to a team to report on it but then that's dangerous because it clouds your judgment and basically costello said they were easy on rex and they regret it and uh you know now rex is (laughs) Lobbing uh, haymakers from uh, you know, up north, 500 miles up north, whatever you may call it. I don't know if that's the exact distance. And uh, the, the, now they regret everything. And I think we've seen that a lot with um, the coverage of teens in this town where because they haven't need access, because they need the quote, because of the way that the newspaper business is and the clicks and everything, it's almost like you're trying to um, stay away from opinion and get, try to beat everybody to news, which is uh, a losing proposition in my opinion you didn't get the right type of journalism for basically a full season when Rex Ryan was the coach. So I thought that was a really interesting admission by Brian Costello. Uh, Not very often that you hear that.
2: You know, Mike, I took a lot of heat over my time covering the team on a semi, you know, full-time basis with Jets insider and champions. And even last year, uh, you know, people took shots at me. Remember I had an axe to grind with Rex and I was, you know, trying to you know run him out of town with my agenda against Rex. And I always said, you know, and maintain Rex is a really nice guy. He's got a very charismatic personality. I spent time with him in Cortland, uh, you know, in sports bars where he sends, drinks over to the writers I've been in groups where you know he's sending over you know little like uh, alligators to represent that you have a free drink commented and he's very personable he gives you a lot of information as far as you know quotes and Different things, like I I said, yo, know, jokingly with Brian that you never have to create a story when you were covering the Jets the last couple of years and it seems like it's carrying over into this year. Although Bowles is more of a no-nonsense guy, but you know, the soap opera that was this week with Geno Smith, which is a Rex carryover if you if you think about it. But the thing about Rex Ryan is there there was a lot of phoniness to him too, because you know, he you know, look at him now. Now he wants to be a Buffalo Bill. Now he's throwing haymakers at the Jets. He, you know, you know, Rex takes no accountability for the last four years, and Brian pointed that out, and I've pointed that out to uh, many occasions. I know Joe's taken me to task on it. I mean, the guy has not had a winning season since, since the you know, AFC championship game of week two. He had a lot of influence and a lot of input in the draft picks. And you look at the drafts, you know, I was going over this, uh this week if you look at the you know the 09 draft with Sanchez and Sean Green and stuff there's not a lot Kyle Wilson that was a Rex guy Calvin Pryor last year Rex wanted I mean that no, that's the gift that keeps on giving from Rex I mean Dean Milner Sheldon Richardson and and Gino those were the three picks from, from two years ago I mean look at all of or 3 I don't years don't ago
1: you know I would blame I mean I don't even know if I, I believe Rex that he and there was a report that he was interested in maybe trading for Geno Smith. I feel like, and you saw this with the IK move, he just wants to take former Jets, hope they work out in Buffalo, so that for the rest of his tenure there, he could continue to show the media and the fans and everybody but Woody Johnson, because he still seems to have an affinity for Woody Johnson, based on the article that came out, that you were wrong. This is going to be Rex going out there to show everyone, you were wrong about me, I was railroaded, and I'm going to take your players, I'm going to be Father Flanagan, I'm going to take your players and I'm going to turn them around and I'm going to beat you, you know, in the division twice a year and maybe in the postseason. And that's not, about, that's not really how to run a ball club, Mojo. It's about getting the best 53 guys. And I have a hard time believing that Rex, for two years, someone who's never developed a quarterback, that sat there in that locker room and saw Gino not show up to uh, sessions prepared uh, or late, he wants to bring that north Despite the fact that he has E.J. Manuel, who, you know, got as many problems as Geno. And look, I mean, Matt Castle may not be great. And I certainly know that other than that one year in New England uh, where he he took over for Tom Brady, I think they won 11 games. If I'm not mistaken, Mojo, they didn't make the playoffs that year, but they won 11 games. They they uh, lost Matt on Castle a tiebreaker. Yeah,
2: Castle Castle yeah. won. Yeah, Brady won week one. Got hurt in the begin, in the like the third quarter. Was out for the season. Then Castle came in, won ten games for that team, and they lost on a tiebreaker. Uh, you know, I think Miami got in and the Jets got in uh, that year, and the Patriots sat out on the sidelines with eleven wins, and that was you know the year that Matt Castle then parlayed that into the big contract in Kansas City, and. You know, Matt Castle, like you said, is not anything to light the world on fire because he's failed in Kansas City, Minnesota. He was it now he's got a shot in Buffalo, uh, to basically be the game manager that Rex needs. Uh and hopefully, you know, you look at that offense in Buffalo and you that's gonna be the Shady McCoy show, uh, and Matt Castle trying not to get in the way of that. And Rex is, you know, gonna to try to do it with his defense that he has in Buffalo. But you watched the game it's last interesting, night I've Mojo.
1: It's interesting, though. Look at what Rex is doing. Look at what Bowles is going to do. And I know Bowles is in Arizona, and he saw it. it though it's a passing league, once you get out of the top ten quarterbacks, everybody's going to put up big numbers because of the, the amount of volume of passes. It, could you see a scenario where teams that have components of success, good defense, good running game, are going to pull, pull the league back a little bit to the way it used to be and try to compete? with more of a run-first style that everybody seems to believe is is, is the, the, the way of the past? Almost like in the NBA now, they say you can't win with the old half-court, uh, you know, throw-the-ball-down-low type of offense. You need to have the the pick-and-roll and, and three-point shot. Is it that the the running game and the way with the NFL, the way we knew it, can it come back? I mean, because it seems like that now you got two teams. I know Rex, that's what he's about, but it's not like with a Shady McCoy or even with the Jets with their running back – It's not far-fetched to believe that they can be efficient with the right quarterback and with the right coach um, playing that style. I don't know. I mean, it's not exciting, but it's not going to get you fantasy points or maybe get you running back points. But it's, it's a way that the game was played for many, many years.
2: I think you're going to see a variation of it, Mike. I think you're going to see you use the fantasy points, the PPR version. Like Kansas City, they do a lot of dump-offs to Jamal. Ch- the, the original West Coast offense that Bill Walsh uh, tried to implement and did implement up very successfully where a screen pass and a dump pass is just as good as a handoff. And you look at guys – you know, uh, Bell in Pittsburgh, Charles in Kansas City, where they just dunk the ball, McCoy with the Eagles or even Sproles. They don't have to drop back and throw the ball down the field 15 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards. They do a lot of dinks and dunks and let the running back work out in space. But you look at a lot of these teams, Minnesota, trying to reestablish Adrian Peterson. you got Kansas City relying on Charles. Buffalo's going to rely on McCoy. There's a lot of teams that rely, are going back to relying on the running game or at least a version of it uh, with a short passing game because they don't have a quarterback that can consistently throw the ball down the field, like you said. Other than the top ten teams, um, you know, even look at Seattle, Mike. They win with a read option. They have a quarterback that runs that to perfection, but their number one option is Marshawn Lynch, and that's why it was befuddling that Carroll ever did what he did in the Super Bowl. But Russell Wilson, for all of his accolades and and his leadership. He basically is a game manager there that just runs the game and relies on his defense putting him in a position to capitalize and score points any way they can. I mean, Pete Carroll's happy with five field goals and a touchdown because he knows his defense isn't going to give up twenty points in a game, you know, more often than not. So that, those are the type of teams. Arizona won with a game management type of style last year, uh, and you look at the other teams. I think a lot of teams are starting to revert to that because you know, as much as everybody wants Drew breeze and Peyton Manning and uh, Ben Roethlisberger and some of these you know elite guys Aaron Rodgers Andrew Luck they they don't have it so you have to kind of make the adjustments to it because you, otherwise you're going to just wind up you know, not being successful and the way the league is set up with the passing game and not being able to touch the receivers, I think you're gonna see teams kind of going back to the running game, but more of a you know a short passing game, you know, mixed in with that. Because that's the best way to kind of spread things out. Otherwise if you try to go pure ground and pound like Rex used to, they're gonna just load you up eight guys in a box and it takes everything else away from you.
1: And I know we're kind of shoving them in before the 11 o'clock hour, but the Giants did have a preseason game yesterday. And it, it, the way that media works, it's never necessarily about organization all the time or you know, giving equal time to the team with the best record or, or the best chance of winning. It's about what the best story is. And the Giants don't really have a lot of compelling stories that can make for good talk radio or good print, but they played yesterday, and it's typical Giants, Mojo, because I can't really ever figure them out. They always play lousy in the preseason, it seems. You always go into the season feeling not good about Eli Manning, not good about the offense, or not good about... Unless you're Joe Bono.
2: About Joe Bono. Your Joe Bono has the Giants.
1: As a historically good offense. Well, with the way the offensive line looks, the way the defense looks, right now the Giants don't look like they're ever going to win a game after, after Friday. But remember, and I saw it going on, a good friend, Joe Casal, who has been on the show uh, on Twitter, said, you can't, all of a sudden analyze preseason. And I think that's what social media, we've hit the social media bubble and I'm on Twitter as much as anybody else. But when I saw this year in the heat of a pennant race of baseball that people are tweeting stats of of quarterbacks in shorts on a practice field, I said, we've now hit the idiocy of statistics and sports and social media. Because you know what, Mojo? As much as I love you to death, if you and I go out you know, you and I could go out into, the, into the, the street now and throw a football around. I don't think anybody would want us to tweet how many receptions I had if you threw the football, how many interceptions you had. And I can understand that that's not maybe apples-to-apples apples comparison, but essentially that's what you were doing. That's like tweeting, oh, by the way, in warm-ups, Eli Manning you know, threw uh, over Odell Beckham's head four times. I mean, does it matter? So I Mike, you know, Mike, line, I've been on the so sidelines of practices
2: yeah i've been there and guys are sitting there with their notebooks charting the passes the completions, the inner i mean you see it all the time and i would sit there and someone asked me like you know why aren't you doing it and i you know i was a fan you know when i was up in Cortland all those years and i was like why does it really matter? Is it ever going to be recorded? Am I going to be able to go to football reference and, and look it up five years from now? That you know Tim Tebow was old for 9 in practice today? Or that Mark Sanchez, especially in today, shorts when they're...
1: I think you're going to start... Mojo, I'm going to tell you, the, the, I went to Fangraph, the stats they have now. And some of them are good. I think you're going to start to have some kind of stat for everything. You get more, I, and, I, and I understand what you're saying, you get more with talking to people watching, you know, it's the anecdotal, not maybe not the anecdotal, well, it's the, it's the visual stuff that practice is about. You have plenty of numbers. We don't need more numbers. It's about the environment, talking to people, practice, watching the players. It does not matter. Those stats do not mean one iota. And this is the problem with Geno Smith. And it's the problem with Eli Manning because you're going to see it every preseason. Eli's going to look like garbage. Geno in shorts without contact will look like uh, Joe Montana. And away we go. And then week one, reality sets in, and we, it's the vicious cycle. So I'm not, my point is, Mojo, I'm not really worried about the Giants. I think they have a ton of questions. And I'll tell you the truth. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, why wouldn't I tell you the truth? I, uh, my opinion is this we're not going to know anything about the Giants until the bell rings. We're not going to know. I I agree agree. with you.
2: People asked me that last year to assess the Giants, and I basically my answer in preseason was they're either going to be very good or they're going to be very bad, Uh, and it's hard to tell right now based on the way they you know preseason plays out because you don't see enough. Of I mean, Beckham was hurt last year in the preseason. You didn't see a lot of him. Uh, the offensive line has a ton of question marks. And, and that's basically what the Giants come down to, Mike. If they're going to be able to give Eli Manning time with the players that he has on offense available to him, he should be able to generate a, a very, very effective offense. Uh, you it's going to be Victor a transition.
1: Chris. You've got, you've got. I mean, they finally have McAdoo under their under their belt now. I mean, that's not an excuse. You've got the offensive line is an issue. Spagnola coming back in a new system. Uh, I I find it hard to believe that a defensive system is as complicated as learning an offensive system. I'm not relying on JPP at all. I mean, that to me is a wild card. Who knows what you're, you know, when and if he's ever going to come back. So I really think you got to sit back. Week one in Dallas, I think you might get yourself clobbered week one. Maybe you don't look week two good week two. You're going to have to go the first four weeks, and the Giants don't have an easy schedule, but you have to muddle through the first two weeks because the first four games is where you could find yourself, but finding yourself, mode just two and two, not one and three, all oh and four. And I think that'll be okay for the Giants, and I think that I won't really know what this team is about until October 1st, really. I mean, I mean, maybe a little bit later than that, um, it's almost like the baseball season where you muddle through those first 50 60 70 games and then all of a sudden separation exists. I think the Giants are going to have to use the first 3 4 weeks to find out what works and what doesn't. It's as simple as that. Well, I know that's not well, you know the, the,
5: first week, the first week the first week in Dallas Michael.
2: I mean, the first week in Dallas, they should, you know, have, that's going to be a tough game for them on the road. But they always play well in Dallas. Eli Manning always seems to have tough, you know, some of his better games in Dallas. It's opening day. You know, the Cowboys are going to be the team that everybody's going to look to in that division coming off of last year. But Giants always play well down in Dallas then they got the Falcons and the Redskins at home atlanta is going, you know new coach new system they always play poorly on the road for whatever reason outside of that Georgia Dome so that's your home opener Redskins you know I'm not sold on RG3 and that whole program there and then they go play Rex and to me Rex is overrated and then they get a very interesting San Francisco team that's going through transition so realistically if they answer the bell, they could get off to a good start. I, I, I mean, because they have three definitely winnable games in San Francisco, Washington, and. Atlanta at home and Rex is Rex. And I don't care how good Buffalo's defense is. Rex always finds a way to, you know, take defeat out of the jo- I mean, look at last night. I know it was a preseason game. They were dominating the Carolina Panthers. I live here in Charlotte. So I got to watch the whole game back and forth. Do you think they have it in control? And then all of a sudden that, you know, with a third string quarterback in for Carolina, they're dinking and dunking. They overpursue everything. And they allow like a 45 yard screen pass to go to the house and they lose by one point last night and that's typical Rex you know everybody talks about what a defensive genius he is but those are the type of games you saw the Jets lose I think you're going to see Buffalo lose a lot of games like that because Rex doesn't make second half adjustments he does not you know do the necessary things uh, down the stretch to win games for his team so I look at the Giants' first five weeks up until the Eagle game in week six. I mean, they can win a bunch of those games early on, and Dallas is going to probably be the toughest game for them. But I agree with you. You're not going to see uh, a true Giant team until they answer the bell because that's just the way Tom Coughlin prepares them. They don't talk a lot. They don't give you a lot of headlines and a lot of uh, sidebars. They just go out there and they just do what they're supposed to do. And at the end of the day, they answer the bell, and they're either very good or they're very bad. But this is a, a make or break for Coughlin because he's got to have at least a winning season, a playoff-type season, or obviously he's going to be you know, asked to retire you know, and not be asked back um, because they can't go back to another non-playoff year if he doesn't have it. Uh, but I think the Giants are an enigma as far as trying to pick – how they're going to be but if you look at their overall schedule i think they have a lot of winnable games it's just a matter of how the line pans out and and the injuries and I mean, you're right spagnola to me is an overrated defensive coordinator um he left here went to the rams was a disaster as a head coach and you know last year you look at him as the defensive back coach of the ravens they were terrible so I think that you know, he, he rode a, a, a good defense here to a head coaching job but hasn't done very much uh, since he's left the New York Giants. So he's got a lot to prove with that defense, and the Giants have a lot to prove overall uh, as far as putting all their pieces together. So I, I don't think you're going to know what you're going to get, like you said, until the uh, season starts with this team.
1: All right, let's take a quick break and let's uh, transition to baseball. 11:20. Uh, well, Around 1120 we'll have Doug Flynn former Mets, uh, current Reds broadcaster. Uh, he'll uh, chime in on the pennant race. We'll talk Mets, we'll talk Yankees, and we'll get into baseball. Uh, of course, Geno Smith and the Jets, the, get, the, the gift that keeps on giving and gave us an hour worth of content here on the Weekend Watchdogs in the midst of the dog days of summer and the, uh, the baseball pennant race. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison, subbing in for Joe Bono. The number is 646-716-8187. And listen to us live on replay or on iTunes if you go to weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. Sandy also better stop lawyering people because I'm tired of the responses. You know what? He, you know what? Either you demand excellence or you don't. Oh, we, you know, I said we were 90 wins as a goal, but you know what? It was really just something to strive for. You know what, Sandy? I'm not on trial here, okay? Stop. This team is dead, and you are taking a good opportunity with some good young pitching, and you're pissing it away. Have hope. You know, it's like 1984. Oh, really? Stop with the amazing and believe, and you know what? You want to live in the amazing and believe world? That's fine. You're going to sit with you and the 5,000 other desperados look at I'm Collins. <laughs> Which, let me tell you something. Did Terry Collins inspire you? Even at the post-game conference yesterday, you sounded like an idiot. They could not have picked a worse candidate out of all the people they interviewed back in 2010. You could not... I could have asked my dog to go and drop his ball in a bucket, in this four bucket, pick a bucket, and that guy's the manager of the mess. my dog would have probably picked a better manager than Sandy Alderson. Y-A-M-A-D-E-S Here comes the Yankees.
0: Let's get behind the chillers. Yankees, they're going to learn to
1: feel the one. Yankees. Everybody Mike Silva, Jim Mojo Morrison subbing him for uh, the vacationing Joe Bono who's somewhere on a mountain in Sicily contemplating life, drinking wine, and who knows, he might become the radio version of Wally Pitt if you keep it up. that a good show so far. So Mojo, You know, in two- on,
2: wait, Mike, before we get going, I don't want to interrupt you, but in honor of Joe, during the break, I, I took out some grapes out of my refrigerator and I'm going to sit here and I have some grapes to eat with- uh, coffee. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get into character and kind of give you a little bit of the aviance as if Joe was you know on air with you today, because I don't want you to miss him too much.
1: <laughs> I you think you put the grapes on the floor and step on them to make your own wine. That's what I think. But I know the Mets have been the story similar to the Jets, but I put the Yankee theme going on because um, huge win for the Yankees last night. An old friend that Mets fans know, an old, wily veteran uh, of many wars, Uh, baseball pennant races, Carlos Beltran came up big. And I think it's interesting because I've been breaking, you know, what on Twitter, even this morning on Yankees fans, because Yankees fans are an odd bunch. They really haven't been into the Yankees for a while. And the last couple of years, they really haven't been in the pennant race. And now this year you've seen the renaissance of Teixeira and A-Rod and the the, the dominant bullpen and, uh, you know, some, you know, Kobe Ellsbury, and Gardner's having a great year. And even quietly, since this horrible April, Carlos Beltran's had a, not, not an uh, impact player uh, year, but certainly a co- very solid complementary veteran bat type of year. And I think they started to really feel, oh, man, this team is going to run away with the vision, it's going to be easy, we'll just slide into the postseason and then we'll get ready for the tournament. And all of a sudden, the Toronto Blue Jays go out and get Troy Tulowitzki and David Price. And they become this, uh, you know, the offense came together, and all of a sudden they become this runaway train. And the Yankees go 33 innings without scoring against them, and they're down three nothing last night. And it looks like, you know, I I posted earlier in the week a video from Major League Two, and uh, what is it, uh, Jake Parkman does the uh, the runaway train over uh, over Rube, that uh, that that Southern catcher that was in that uh, movie, and basically you know runs him over like a train. I'm like, you know, that's the Blue Jays. Running over the Yankees, and then here it comes up: Carlos Beltran, late eighth inning, three-run homer, and then they survive a scary ninth inning. Um, and you know what? You all of a sudden you could tell the meltdowns that you were seeing on Twitter from the Yankees fans, and the post, uh, you know, post-game reaction of euphoria, and even this morning about how big that this home run was by Beltran, and almost like he earned his pinstripes because. With the Yankees, it's not just about earning your money. It's about earning the pinstripes on top of that. And all of a sudden, the Blue Jays' winning streak, the Yankees' inability to score against Toronto, the fact that they've blown a pretty significant lead pretty quickly, it's all gone, and everything's okay in Yankeesville. But I will say this, Mojo, in all seriousness, it was a big win, and I do believe in momentum in sports. Because I'll give you a, a similar example. Later in the season, and much more debilitating than what happened to Toronto last night, but when Terry Pendleton hit that home run against uh, off of um, Roger McDowell in 1987 on that Friday night when Ron Darling broke his finger, the Mets came out the next day behind Dwight Gooden, I believe, and lost, and lost pretty badly. I know David Cohn a couple of days later righted the ship and 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 won a game. Mets never recovered from that loss. Now, that was in September, mid-September. It's really important for Toronto to win today, I think. And I know that that's silly in the day and age of stats and and baseball being almost like about today. And certainly they're not dead, the Blue Jays, if they lose uh, today, but this is a big game today because you don't want to let things snowball. And I think it was a big win for the Yankees. And uh, I think that if I'm the Yankees now, just like the Mets, I've been saying, put the hammer down and the Mets are trying to put the hammer down on the nationals, put the hammer down on the Blue Jays. Let's you know go out there and score three runs in the first inning today. Watch how tight they get. Now, you know, It's not like you don't have a uh, a backup, but uh, I think winning the division in this tournament of all tournaments now with the way the baseball is, you don't want to just play a one-game playoff. You want to win the division. So I don't know what your thoughts are, but to me, this was a big win. Even though it's August, even though it's a baseball game, it was a big win for the Yankees.
2: Huge win for the New York Yankees, Mike, especially the way things had been going over the last couple of weeks. They kind of righted the ship in Cleveland, held on on Thursday. Then they've got the Blue Jays, who had swept them the week before. You know, and if you listen to Mike Pelfrey, the former Met, now in Minnesota, uh, kind of made a pretty uh, compelling statement, which yeah, makes you think, and you know, he may be right, with David Price on the mound, the Toronto Blue Jays are perhaps the best team in Major League Baseball on that particular day. Obviously, Price can't pitch every day, but with David Price and that lineup, you probably have the best team in baseball. And the Yankees went up against that last night on the road, Having been struggling to put runs on the board, they had a good night the, the night before, and Cleveland held on uh, in the eighth and ninth inning uh, to win the game. And I was just shocked. You know, Price is mowing them down, eighth inning, three nothing. How Gibbons fell for the trap by bringing in that right hander, because you, I would have either left Price in to face Young. Or a brought a lefty. I mean, you knew once he brought the righty in, you were going to get Beltran, who, other than the Adam Wainwright at bat in 06 with the Mets, has been a pretty prolific postseason player. You talk about stats and numbers. Well, Beltran has earned his stripes in the, in the postseason and down the stretch. I mean, he was phenomenal with the Astros that one year, had some good postseasons. Uh, when he was with the Cardinals he just knows how to turn it on he's a professional hitter he's, he's a, a pros pro and he had that at bat waiting Girardi had him sitting there and Gibbons fell for the trap, brought in the righty reliever. And that's what, you know, sometimes you put too much value in starting pitchers because once these teams go to their bullpen, those are where games are won and lost. And that's what gives right. the Yankees, in my opinion, the advantage down the stretch. Like everyone's saying, well, the Yankees don't have the starting pitcher, but they, you know, with their bullpen and the way – Girardi navigates it, they've got a huge advantage over everybody else because they've got a deep bullpen that knows how to get it done and that's where that game was won last night was in the bullpen because as good as Price was, once he was out of the game, everything swung over to the Yankees once they got into the bullpen and the Yankees, you know, I think part of the petering in the last couple weeks you've always pointed it out on Twitter they're going with a lot of older guys I think Girardi needs to give these guys a little bit of rest, bringing Bird up to give them a little bit of, uh, of, of fresh uh, bones on the bench, more, you know, speak, given to share a little bit of, 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 a, of a blow. I think the Yankees, if all is well, are positioned to make a run. Toronto, had, you know, they had the, the you know, second 11-game winning streak to, to overtake the Yankees, but now they need to sustain this. Uh, if you're the Blue Jays, uh, it, it's going to be a good race down the stretch, but I, I think that the bullpen and the, the batting order of the Yankees. I mean, Toronto can match the Yankees with the lineup that they have, uh, but I think that the Yankees have the advantage over Toronto in the bullpen because I think that down the stretch, when you get into the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, it's the Yankees that have the advantage over Toronto.
1: I think both of these teams, though, are going to have to think about making a waiver wire deal. We'll talk about the Mets in a little bit, but looking at the Yankees, and this first came up, and I was surprised. I was not surprised to hear this name come up because he cleared waivers, but we just saw him at City Field play a four-game series, and Jose Reyes looks nothing like vintage Jose Reyes. Now Jose Reyes is 32, history of of leg and, and hamstring issues, which is always a dangerous thing when your whole game is predicated on speed. Although well, Jose Reyes could hit, uh, he's no longer the stolen base threat that he used to be. Uh, he can't, you know, bang triples out, you know, like some players used to, you know, hit home runs uh, like he used to. But I almost feel Jose Reyes, by the comments he made at City Field, needs something to play for. He wasn't playing great in Toronto. He was a below-league average hitter, but he wasn't a, a scrub. Right now he's hitting two fourteen in Colorado. Um, you know, who knows if, a long homestand if Jose Reyes, all of a sudden those numbers could change pretty quickly, in that spacious ballpark. Uh, thin air, all that stuff. The Yankees have looked into, at least by rumors, that looking at Reyes, and Reyes is a second baseman because they like Didi Gregorius at short uh, right now defensively, and more so Reyes to replace Steven Drew. Reyes would add an interesting component. Would the pennant race, because he talked about not being in the pennant race when he was at City Field this week, would the pennant race re-energize Reyes where you would gain the Yankee bump? And would you see Reyes vintage 2006 for six, seven weeks? The risk here is this. What does Colorado want? Do they want to just dump the salary? I mean, they remember, they gave up Troy Tulowitzki was a guy that, by all accounts, they did not want to trade. They were almost – their situation forced them into that. So if, you, if, if they give up Reyes for nothing just to dump the salary, you're basically traded one of your best players, and you're not getting anybody that you could market around. I mean, if Jose Reyes is good – even on a bad team, you probably could market a little bit around him. And remember, it's as much about selling the team to the fans, especially in those parts of the country, Mojo. It's not necessarily just about winning divisions. It's about going out and having a good time and seeing some ballplayers to have fun. But here's the thing, $22 million, $22 million, $4 million buyout. You owe the guy at least $48 million to age 35. And um, would the Yankees take that on for maybe six weeks, maybe a year and a half of Reyes with the risk that – all of a sudden, he peters out, and then you're owed big money to a guy that, without legs, is worthless. And imagine Jose Reyes coming to the Bronx, getting re-energized, helping the Yankees win the division, or at the same time while the Mets are trying to stave off the Nationals and get back to the postseason. It would make for great storylines. And think about late September when the Yankees come to Citi Field. Jose Reyes may be leading off or batting ninth, depending on how they want to do the lineup, double leadoff guy and uh, helping the Yankees maybe keep the Mets out of the postseason. There's a couple of interesting storylines. It's an interesting move. In a vacuum, I say go for it if money's no object. I think it depends on what Colorado wants in terms of prospects.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, the Yankees are, seem reluctant, Mike, to trade any of their big prospects. That was the reason why they didn't land anybody uh, you know, compelling. Cole Hamels uh, at the trade deadline – I think that that's a big factor. Uh, I mean, you know, the Colorado Rockies, I mean, they, they are in a complete rebuild mode. Is Jose Reyes, you know, in his 30s, who relies on his legs to be the big uh, proponent of his game, it, that factor doesn't seem to be there anymore. You know, a, he's not a, a threat like he used to be during his heyday with the Mets on the base pass. He doesn't, you know, he, he still has speed. He's, he's got not, 19. He's,
1: he's, got nine, he's got 19 stolen bases. He's, he's the game. It's like it's similar to the NFL not being about running anymore. Stolen bases have become. Uh, an evil word in the modern game because of the money ball and the advanced metric saying that We're, the risk reward is not there. So that could be playing part of it, but I saw and the Jose other Reyes thing is he's killed them. At he's Field. killed them. Triple four years ago. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And he's killed them defensively. That was the biggest gripe in Toronto on Jose Reyes. I mean, I watched the number of games I have the, you know, the package that I watch, watch a lot of baseball, uh, you know, minor league and major league during the course of the year. And he made a lot of, you know, routine plays and turn them into errors. Uh, you know, or he didn't get to the ball, and that was one of the biggest knocks. And one of the things when they got Tulewitzki, not only has Tulewitzki re-energized himself offensively by going to Toronto, but he makes the average play and the you know, above-average play that Reyes wasn't making, and Toronto has felt the upgrade defensively up the middle with Tulowitzki at shortstop in the time that he's been there. Um, and whether that, you know, is sustainable, or, you know, long term. as Tulowitzki, we all know always seems to find a way to get on the disabled list or miss games due to, uh, you know, playing nagging injuries.
1: Turf. Yeah, playing on right now is not going to
2: but I think also helping Tulewitzki is the fact that you can DH him on certain days and not take his bat out of the lineup. So that may be a big thing too. But does Colorado want to sell – you know, I know one of the um – scouts who's one high up in the Toronto, um, I'm not sorry, the Colorado organization. And he said that they're at a crossroad in the organization. They really don't know what they want to do. You know, do they want to just completely sell out and rebuild it, you know, and sell off all their assets, you know, cargo right now is a, is a big asset. I mean, he would have to clear waivers to, to get through. Reyes, we all know has cleared waivers. I mean, but you know, they've got to keep something there uh, if they're going to, energize their fan base for people to come out. They can't totally abandon a uh, ship there in Colorado uh, and just dump But I-, I could see them just wanting to get rid of Reyes's uh, contract. That's the one guy that I could see and not, com- uh, you know, demand these top tier prospects. Because I think overall, if you look at Reyes uh, over the next couple of years, you know, you're probably going to see a decline in him. He needs to be at a place where he's interested. I don't see Colorado contending in the next couple of years and that's just not a type of team that Jose Reyes will excel on. Got
1: the Yankee Yankee bump, my old Yankee bump written all over him, though, Mojo.
2: I mean, the the Mets would never be in play for Jose Reyes because of the salary implications, Uh, but that's a guy that's a Mets. If
1: Colorado says, here's the dilemma, real quick, if you give Colorado a top prospect overpaying prospect or a prospect and they pay the salary, most of it, then you could maybe make a deal that makes sense. The problem is you're taking a risk and saying I'm giving out something for a guy that's broke. Now, let me tell you something, real quick. Couple of guys. One that, and we'll get to the Mets, but one, A. Rod hitting 232 since the uh, since the All Star break second half, or I should say second half, which is yeah the All Star break. And uh, Carlos Gomez not lighting it up in Houston. That might go down as the best trade that never was. Think about that, Mojo.
2: I was never a fan of Carlos Gomez. I don't think he's a locker room guy. I think he's a me guy. He's one. I'm just not a Carlos Gomez guy. I was very happy that that trade didn't go through. I like what Cespedes has brought to this team. Um, And we will get into the Mets. I mean, if I'm the Mets, you've got Parnell, you've got Murphy, and you've got Cologne coming off the books. That's $22, $23 million. I know you've got the arbitration for Duda, and you've got uh, Harvey's arbitration, but I would offer Cespedes that $23 million that's coming off the books with those other guys, and then just worry about making the bump somewhere else with the increased attendance and everything that's coming down the pike with all these meaningful games they're now going to have over the next seven weeks and uh, I would, you know, re-sign Cespedes uh, if I'm the Mets and build around that bat, you know, and hopefully a healthy right next year. And, you know, going forward, I think that would just totally rejuvenate things even further uh, than they had the last couple of weeks with their, with their good play.
1: All right, we got Doug Flynn. Let's get to him. We're going to take a quick break. Doug Flynn, a current Reds broadcaster, used to play for the Mets, the Reds, uh, former Gold Glover, involved in a very famous or infamous trade in Mets history that involved a certain uh, franchise player. And uh, we'll get his take on the pennant race and uh, what's going on in uh, his life uh, uh, with, uh, with the Reds. And I know he gets involved in fantasy camps and, and charity and things like that. You're listening to the Weekend Watch Dogs. Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for the vacationing Joe Bono. We'll be back with Doug Flynn right after this.
0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one stop shop of quality commentary, hard hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to weekendwatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it.
1: We're back. Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in and uh, joining us, Mets fans, uh, very well. I'm sure they remember him. First time with the team in the early '80s. Uh, now he's a part-time radio broadcaster for the Reds. You can also see him do Reds work on Fox Sports Ohio with Doug Flynn, Doug, Mike Silva, uh, Jim Mojo Morrison. Uh, good morning. How you doing over there?
5: I am doing awesome, guys. It's a beautiful morning. I'm in my truck. I'm heading east. I'm watching the sun come up. Uh, it doesn't get any better than this, unless I would happen to be on the lake fishing.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, it is the dog days of August, maybe not for you anymore since it's been a while since you played, but it is for the, uh, the, the team's independent race. And I'll start out with, uh, with this, Doug. We're starting to see the separation out there um, in all the divisions and even in the wild card race. But talk a little bit about at this point of the year, um, you're going to start to see uh, some teams fall back. You see some teams trying to uh, make a push. Uh, it, this is not easy. This is the last kick in the uh, the rear, so to speak, that you guys have to do when you've had this long 162 game season.
5: Yeah, it's for the teams that are not in the pennant race. It's really tough. Uh, you know, you see a lot of disgruntled players, and some of the little things that start happening really become bigger things if you're not careful. Uh, whereas the teams that are in a pennant race, each day they've got something to motivate them and. You know, uh, I've been both. I've been on teams that were independent race and teams that weren't. You have to really self-motivate yourself in a lot of instances. And Everybody that, you know, the the average fan will say, well, you're making plenty of money. Well, it hasn't always been the case. Guys are making money, but I think more important than that is you owe it to the game and you owe it to the people that are there paying to watch you play, to at least go out and give 100%. And I think uh, it gets tougher, obviously, on the teams that are not in the race. But I tell you, it's uh, that's why it's always good to have an accountability partner on your ball club or a manager or somebody that can continue to motivate you. Because you're right, it is the dog days if you're struggling. But man, it's also really exciting too if you're in the a-
2: Doug. We're talking with former Mets second baseman Doug Flynn uh, here on the Weekend Watchdogs. Uh, I'm going to take you back to 1980. Uh, The late Nelson Doubleday and Fred Wilpom bought the New York Mets. They hired an ad firm to run a uh, campaign. You, Lee Mazzilli, were on the billboards all over the city that year. The magic is back. Uh, August 2nd, you and I were both in the building. Uh, That Sunday night, the Mets complete the current Mets, complete the sweep of the Nationals. They're in first place. The building was rocking. The Mets now in first place, like four and a half games. Is the Magic this time legitimately back? I know in 1980, you guys lost about 91 games that year. It was a tough. I used to go out there with, with 6,000 people and watch you guys play. Now they seem to be uh, finally starting to uh, jam-pack city Field. What was your take on this team back uh, on August 2nd, the night that they swept the Nationals and got into first place?
5: I, I tell you, I've been in a lot of stadiums and arenas and you know we got kentucky basketball here it gets a little crazy i think that night there was as much electricity as i've ever seen in a sporting event it was crazy and for good reason too because the mets were making a good run at the top spot and now they've certainly separated themselves a little bit but you know new york fans i told people uh, that i was very fortunate to play up there obviously the circumstances were a little crazy uh, but when you get a chance to go play in front of uh, very knowledgeable baseball people, people that are passionate, people that will come out and support you, you know, they, don't, they want you to win, obviously. But if you'll just play hard and keep your mouth shut and try to do what's right, the New York fans are very gracious to you. And uh, I, I just think watching what they did the other night, they have such an advantage. If they can continue to stay there, whoever comes into play at that ballpark, is going to have a tremendous disadvantage because the people are crazy and they're wild. And they don't care if you got the lead or not. They'll motivate you to play hard. I thought it was one of the most exciting evenings that I've had in a long time.
1: Joining us is former big leaguer Doug Flynn. He does some work on both television and radio for the Reds. Uh, so he's keeping up with, uh, with what's going on in, uh, in the league. In, in, in baseball, it's not like the NBA or the NHL or in, even the NFL, the quarterback, where one player comes in and all of a sudden you could go from being a second division club to uh, a championship contender. Uh, but certainly bringing in Cespedes has energized this team, not just from his presence in the lineup, but it seems like there's a belief. You know, the Nationals let this division, let the Mets hang around, and, and now it looks like the Mets seem like, hey, you know, we're going to take this thing. Uh, still very early, but Doug, can, can a player come in a locker room, and and their presence because of who they are, uh, and this is something that you can't quantify in numbers and change a team where you know they almost go from not believing to believing, or uh, in some cases they start to play uh, a little bit above their capabilities just by that person's or that individual's presence in the lineup.
5: It, well, it can obviously. You see what happened when Tulowitzki went to Toronto; uh, they went 13 and one. As soon as he got there, now they're like, I don't know, 17 and seven or eight, something like that. But, you know, he certainly picked it up over in Toronto. Uh, and, yes, it absolutely can. And there's, for a couple of reasons. One, you're getting a pretty good ball player. I mean, this kid had some talent. and Everybody knew that. Second, when you're on that ball club and you see your team and your ownership that's going out and paying money to bring in a player that can help you, that gives you confidence that hey, our ownership is going to do all they can to help us win this thing, and that is really, really important because there's a lot of teams right now that are just dumping players. They're starting to say, hey, we're rebuilding, and instead of rebuilding, the Mets look like they're reloading, and I love that. Uh, they've got to say they got great pitching right now uh, would be an understatement. I mean, they got some really good arms. They got some young players that are playing hard. I, I love. What's going on? I watched their dugout the other night. The excitement when somebody did well. Uh, It looks like they have great chemistry. I don't know that, but I think chemistry is one of those words that we overuse and we underuse uh, in certain instances. But it looks to me like that they got really good chemistry. If that's the case, with the talent they got, there's no reason they're not going to stay there and make a really good run in the playoffs.
1: And when you look at the Nationals, I mean, everybody, myself included, saw a team that they're just waiting for that 16-4 run. You know, you've played for teams talented like that, and then you start to really peel the onion. You start to look at the lineup; it's a little bit older. There's guys that have been injured, um, underperformance. Uh, you know, now you got Max Scherzer. Uh, you know, starting to maybe hit a wall a little bit. Um, did we overrate the Nationals in your opinion, or is this just a situation where it's a, a perfect storm where? down years, injuries, and maybe a little bit of an overrated situation?
5: Probably a combination of all the above. Uh, I think they obviously had a very good team, and uh, track record said that if everybody was healthy, they were going to be another very good ball club. And then you see what happened: Harper gets hurt a little bit. um, You know, their pitching isn't quite what everyone thought it would be, and then the few injuries here and there. And then some kids for the Mets just start stepping up. Uh, and it's kind of a combination, and that's what's so good about baseball, I think, it's because in spring training, you've got all the prognosticators that, and experts that are going to give you their opinion, and there's so many things that, that you cannot take into consideration, but you really must. I mean, with the sabermetrics and all that stuff going on now, that doesn't measure a guy's heart, doesn't measure uh, his chemistry, doesn't measure his relationship with the other players in the locker room. So, you know, I think that's what's so cool about baseball. All of us that are not out there can certainly have an opinion and we can start making predictions, but that's why they play the game.
2: He was the man traded for Tom Seaver. Uh, former Met Gold Glover uh, Doug Flynn joining us here on the Weekend Watchdogs. Doug, you do the Reds games, uh, both on radio and TV. Uh, you get a chance to see the Cardinals, the Pirates, and the Cubs as part of that Central Division. Those are the three teams right now that are you know going to be there. How good are those three teams? Do you see all three of those teams in the postseason come October?
5: Um, boy, right now it looks like it. Cardinals are amazing. They just keep getting injuries and bringing guys up from the minor leagues. Uh, They're doing something extremely well in that organization. Uh, And everybody who's in baseball ought to be taking notice of just exactly what they're doing. Uh, Got a chance to see a lot of minor league games this year. They have some really good talent down there. Um, But the team to me that's got probably as much talent uh, at a lower level and they're starting to bring to the big leagues are the Cubs. Uh, they're really, really going to be good. Theo will do a great job with them, just as he did in Boston. The people are. What was that? You guys still got me?
1: We got yeah, you, still got you.
5: Oh, heard some woman coming there talking to me.
3: <laughs> oh my
5: goodness! I'm up in the mountains somewhere. I didn't hear any banjos or anything, but. So, uh, anyway, I just think, you know, watching the Cubs are really good. The Pirates, I love what Clint Hurdle's doing with that ball club. He's got them believing to take it. Even after a rough start, they've come back and have, you know, maybe the second-best record in the league. It's really, really uh, a tough division. Unfortunately, my boys in Cincinnati are not doing too good. But, yeah, I think all three teams will be there because they're all really good.
2: Doug, on a personal note, I uh, work with a guy from Eastern Kentucky who covered the Big Red Machine uh, back in the 70s, and he argues with me that the demise of the big red machine was when Dick Wagner traded Tony Perez to the Expos. I want to argue with him, and I want you to settle this, that when they traded Doug Flynn to the New York Mets, that started the demise <laughs> of the big red machine. Who is right in, in that argument? Was it when they traded Flynn for Seaver, or was it when they traded Perez to the Expos for, uh, for Fryman and Dale Murray? <laughs> All
5: right, Jimmy, you're the— Hey, you've heard me say this a few times. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you one person's opinion, then I'm going to tell you the rest of the world's opinion. Uh, I have proclaimed myself, or I've self-proclaimed glue, the big red machine, because I told them, and Perez was there in 70, and they got beat by Baltimore. Um, then in 72, they got beat by Oakland. 73, they got beat by the Mets. I got there in 75 and 76. We won, and they traded me and didn't win again. However, in all honesty, that was absolutely the biggest reason why the Big Red Machine didn't continue. Tony Perez was the heart and soul of that team. As a matter of fact, next weekend they will be uh, unveiling a statue of him at the ballpark, and so we're going to have all the Big Red Machine, at least a bunch of us, going to be there. So it's going to be a special, special time.
1: Doug Flynn with us, a couple of uh, questions, Doug, before we uh, let you go. Uh, if you look at the American League uh, East, uh, big win for the Yankees last night, coming back late. Uh, Toronto, as you mentioned earlier, after the trade, getting to Lewicki, David Price has been on a roll. Uh, can a big home run like what Carlos Beltran hit last night, even though it's one game and you keep hearing you're um, only as good as your next day's pitcher, can that almost uh, turn around momentum? it seemed like the Blue Jays were a runaway train, and they're up 3 nothing, and the Yankees are a half game out, and they're about to be a game and a half out. And not only do they get a big home run, they get a big save with Andrew Miller on fumes. Is there anything to that uh, narrative, I guess, about momentum in baseball and taking a win and as a team and 25 men uh, translating that over the last, you know, four or five weeks of the season?
5: Oh, heck, yeah. Baseball is totally a game of momentum. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and, You know, I like Toronto. When I managed in the Mets organization, I got a chance to man to coach actually with John Gibbons. And first of all, I'm so happy to see the success he's having. He's just a wonderful person, and he's a good manager. Uh, but they had been playing extremely well, and you know, Carlos Beltran's such a good player, and the Yankees have such tradition. You never really feel like that they're going to be out of a ball game and you almost expect them to be in the playoffs every year. Uh, Joe's done a great job with them. A lot of people, I know, second-guessed him a little bit when he came to New York. Uh, It's hard to replace uh, some of the managers like Joe Torre and others that have been there, but uh, that hit last night certainly uh, will be a big catalyst because had they not have got that, and then they do drop down a game and a half, Uh, It's certainly a confidence builder for Toronto, not that they need it. But, yeah, you you see that big guys, uh, big names sometimes step up in big games. And, of course, this kid's got a history of when he does get to the playoffs, he's pretty dead gum good.
1: Doug, so before we let you go, what do you have going on? I know you do the Mets fantasy camp, uh, as Jim had mentioned earlier. Uh, you're, You're doing a ton of broadcasting for the Reds. You're staying involved in the game. Uh, give us an idea of uh, what you're up to because I'm sure the Mets fans, and the New York fans that are in the audience are, are curious to hear where uh, Doug Flynn will be
5: next. My thanks. As you can tell, I'm a little hoarse today. I've, I've got a lot of irons in the fire now. Uh, I appreciate, first of all, my whole stay in New York. and Each time I come back, the way the guys treat me and all of our fantasy camp friends that are so nice to me. Um, I've, I've got a bunch going. I'm doing a, a weekly show in Cincinnati called Reds Weekly. I've got a radio show called Big League Fishing that I do where we talk about fishing around uh, our state in Tennessee and some of the surrounding states. Uh, I just finished with CBS Sports Network, minor league game of the week. We did several games every Thursday night before our second year. Uh, I'll be emceeing Perez statue is being unveiled and have a chance to have some fun with all of our teammates. Uh, Right now, on the road, headed to Camp Lejeune for a program called Hope for the Warriors. Johnny Bench and I co-host a little golf tournament. We raise money for our men and women that have served. Unfortunately, these folks are having to serve four and five tours. It's way too many. When they come back, they need a little help. So we're taking a few celebrity friends and a couple of our people from the music industry, uh, the entertainment industry. We're going to go down, hug on some people, raise some money and hopefully uh, let these guys get back to a normal life, if at all possible. So very, very blessed right now. and very excited about uh, everything that's going on in my life. It, as my wife said, I told her that I was the baby. I told some friends the other night, I'm the baby on the big red machine. And my wife said, yep, and the baby's going to be drawn Social Security next year. So life's going too fast. And I tell you, I'm just so blessed and enjoying every single day.
1: We, ha- we have so, a
3: question
5: on, on this. Yeah, if the
1: Mets play the Reds in a, in a championship series, will you be wearing your Mets hat or your Reds hat? That's going to put you on the spot on that one.
5: <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm really quite involved with Cincinnati right now. I know. And I love, believe me, I love my four years in New York. It, it was absolutely wonderful. And I'd love to come back a lot more than I really get a chance to do that. So, You know, maybe if there's a little more love shown from the organization in New York, maybe I'll come back. But Doug Dickey and Lorraine Hamilton and Jay Horowitz, people that I love to death from New York, uh, anytime they want me, they know they got me.
1: All right. Well, listen, Doug, thank you so much for your time. Have a safe trip. Let's do it again and uh, uh, be well. Okay, my friend?
5: Thank you, Mike. Jim, thanks, buddy. I will see you soon.
1: That's Doug Flynn, uh, I know he was driving to an event, I think he was somewhere in uh, West Virginia, so the fact that we were able to, uh, other than the one woman who seemed to kind of interject on our uh, segment, we were able to get him without dropping off, so we appreciate that, and, and sometimes you things work out a little bit in radio. So Anyway, let's take a quick break. Jim and I uh, will wrap it up. We'll talk about the Mets. If you want to chime in on a phone call, if you're listening to this show live, the number is... Uh, You're listening to the Weekend Watch Dogs. Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for the vacationing Joe Bono. 646-716-8187 is the number, and uh, we'll be right back. Mojo.
2: Mojo. Mojo. The libido, the life force, the essence, the right stuff, what the French call a certain...
5: Jim Mojo Morrison.
2: Mojo!
3: Super Bowl champion Giants running back Joe Morris joined the weekend watchdogs. You guys practiced the flea flicker all year long, yet the entire team, all 11 members of the offense, were shocked. And Bill Parcells actually called for it and actually had to look over to the sideline because you guys didn't believe that that was really the play. <laughs>
5: <laughs> we worked on that play every week. No, I gotta admit, there were times that we didn't, you know, sometimes I'd miss the pitch, sometimes with would miss the guy and whatever. We, we screwed up a couple of times, but he, we worked on it every week. We never called that play. I bought the play in from the sidelines. I was on the sidelines to play before. Came off to the sideline, and I told Phil what the play was. He stepped out of the to take a look at Parcells to make sure. You sure you want this play? And his Parcells going, <laughs> go, run the freaking play. I, I send it in, you run this play. He throws this play, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's actually to it. And it was completed, and it uh, it the complexion of the game.
3: It's the Weekend Watchdogs every Saturday, ten to noon on Blog Talk Radio.
1: Mike Silva and Jim Mojo Morrison subbing in for the vacationing Joe Bono. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Uh, send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at com and uh, listen to us live on replay at com. Mojo, uh, we're going to go to the phone lines in a minute. Interesting segment with Doug Flynn. Can't say I remember Doug Flynn. A little too young for that, but had a lot of interesting things to say about the pennant race. You have to feel good about the Mets. Four and a half games up, four in the loss column, even though they lost a pretty tough game yesterday. Nationals Tried to come back, but the Giants beat them eight five. This is an important few days. I think if you can get a couple of wins here against the Pirates, and you got to think the Nationals will win at least one game. But maybe the Giants could get one more win, take three out of four. You go into next week. I know the Mets have a couple of off days. They have the series in Baltimore. I know they got to go to Colorado. These are not going to be easy road games uh, against some of these uh, subdivision division, su- second uh, division teams. But you get a a five-and-a-half game lead going into August, the 17th, Monday. It's a good spot to be in. Now, there's a storm cloud I want to talk about, but there is a storm cloud on the Mets. Not everything is rosy. But the Mets are in a pretty good spot, and the Nationals, I think, are a hair away from just saying, eh, it's not our year. I don't know if they're at that point yet, but they let this thing hang around. The Mets seized it, and now let's see if the Mets hand it back and give the Nationals some hope, or the Mets start to push – five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half, seven-and-a-half. Before you know it, it's September, September 1st. You're eight games back. We know here, not impossible to come back from, but mathematically, not easy. Not is an anomaly. It's not the norm.
2: Well, I think the Mets, first of all, Mike, they need to get a win against the Pirates either today or tomorrow. Mets are 0-11 this year versus the Cubs and the Pirates. And as I alluded to in our interview with Doug, you look at, I mean, at the way things are shaping up, the way they're playing, and barring uh, some sort of a catastrophic collapse, you're going to see Chicago and Pittsburgh in the wild card with the Cardinals uh, winning the division. I mean, the way things are shaping up, unless the Cardinals falter and one of them overtake it. I mean, Giants, as well as they're playing, I think they have to set their sights on the Dodgers being only two and a half behind. And I think the Mets and Nationals have to kind of set uh, their sights on each other. I think those teams are just that much better the way they're playing. You know, the Cubs, are, are ascending the pirates. I have been there the last couple of years. I think, I honestly think the card, the pirates have the most, com- I know the Cardinals have the best record, but I think the pirates have the most complete team uh, in the uh, national league. And I really yeah, like they, their they chances kind of
1: weird. Cause I look at them and I'm like, oh, they're not that great, but then, you know, they, they stay in the game. They got McCutcheon, they got a good bullpen. The starting rotation outside of Cole, um, and 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 uh, Liriano could be a little little dicey.
2: Yeah, losing Burnett you know I think hurt them. Uh, you know, as far as going down the stretch, but I, I I like the Pittsburgh team. I mean, overall since May they've had the best record in baseball. Cardinals got off at a good start and they've sustained. Uh, but since May the Pirates have been the best team uh, in the National League, and I, I just like their their style. I think Hurdle does a great job managing them. I mean, every year. Uh, you know, our, our, our friend uh, Paul Urcolino and I always uh, at Labor Day assess like, what team we're going to, you know, we would put our, our chips on, as you like to say, for the uh, World Series. And, if, you know, being it's a not an even year, we, we would have to not say whatever is. Nine we're gonna... to
1: one. Nine to one the Mets are. They were 33 to one, I think, earlier in the year. Nine to one to win the World Series. Only four teams. In Vegas, I believe have a better shot to win the World Series.
2: Yeah, I, I tell you, I, you know, it's funny how two weeks in baseball—I know it's a marathon. There's still seven weeks to go, but when you look at these, the way these teams are assembled. I mean, now with Cespedes and Uribe and Johnson being in that lineup, it's elevated uh, Murphy, because Murphy's a professional hitter. Uh, you just need some other guys around. He's not going to carry carry you, uh, but he's more than capable of being a contributor with other good bats. Uh, Granderson has had a steady year. I think sitting on the bench for the period of time that he has, but Garris has come off the last you know week. He's like, what is it, 7 for 15 on this homestand. Hey, I think it's on
1: the. Yeah, you're on the verge of losing your job. Amazing things happen. It's it's funny how that works.
2: Exactly how you start to get your focus. You see uh, Taha focusing a little bit more. Uh, Darno, you know now that he's healthy, I think sending Peleki down was a good move. You get him a couple of at bats the next couple of weeks. Bring him back in September, and then if there is a postseason, you obviously have him as the postseason because you don't want him sitting and only playing once a week. You need to get Darno going. Um, you know the thing is, and, and here's the key, Mike, and I I thought about this. I was talking uh, to to our friend Paul the other day. I think when MAPS is ready you get Matt's ready to pitch out of the bullpen. I don't think you worry about six-man Agreed. rotations and everything. You go to the role that David Price had in 08 with Tampa Bay, where you can bring him out as a lefty specialist. Lives, and, and, I,
1: and I know we got to get to the phone line, but that bullpen is a, uh, a mess. Yeah,
2: Parnell is your third option. Even and, and
1: Even Clippert's peripherals are not good. Clippard's strikeout rate has dropped a lot. Now, maybe that's a temporary thing. Parnell is bad. Um, I don't trust Carlos Torres. The guy no. that they have underutilized is Sean Gilmartin. He's having a decent year. Now, maybe the reason he's having a decent year, Rule 5 pick, is because they've spotted him as a long man or maybe to get a lefty here or there out. I know he had a couple of chances to step up in a big spot early in the year and didn't, uh, but they may need to go out. Just like we talked about the Yankees needing to go out and get themselves uh, maybe another hitter. We talked about Jose Reyes. Maybe the Mets need to go and look for a bullpen arm because – um, that might be a problem. Hey, let's um, let's let's go to the uh, the phone lines as our buddy uh, Drew from Bayshore decided to pop on. I guess even though Joe uh, Bono's on vacation, Drew's not. Uh, Drew, you're on with Mike and Jim Mojo Morrison. How you doing?
6: Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, you're correct. Even though Joe's uh, safely landed in Sicily, I am still calling in, you know, just to represent uh, uh, the public out there went to the uh, game last night. Gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> night at pretty field. Uh, great crowd on hand.
1: Raucous crowd uh,
6: or quiet crowd because you know, of
1: lack of offense?
6: Um, well, it was a little quiet. because a lack of offense, but, you know, it, it was uh, loud and, and people were enjoying themselves. I mean, Cologne pitched very well uh, for, for the most part, i got to say. Um, you know, the game. The team that game is, and I'll get to point out in a second is. I forget what inning it is, but you have second and third, nobody out. You got your three, four, five coming up. Huffle hold. I want to say it was Magaris coming around third, which would make sense if he was batting And I'm like, oh, I would have liked to see him go there, but you've got three, four, five, all right, with six, you get two terrible up bats from Festus and Uribe, and then you get an okay at bat from Murphy, and I thought that was a big key to the game. Yep, let you they let half off the hook. It, it, that's right. And it was like it was like, Oh my god, the mess from a couple of weeks ago, here we go. <laughs> um, I thought for now he scares me. He absolutely scares me. I mean I, I I know people have commented about the bullpen and I said, Listen, you know, with their top three, they're gonna get those seven eight innings, so you're not gonna see as much of the bullpen as maybe you, you might think. The guy I do not wanna see is Bobby Farnell in a big spot. I really don't. I think he's full of gold. I think they should have got rid of him when they had the chance. Uh, I, I, I don't know what you think, but I, I think uh, you know he's trouble in the making. But you know what? I think, Mets fans, you enjoy this time. You, you just get to the dance. You win the division. You don't know what anything can happen with the sitting staff. You can make a nice little run. And I agree with Mojo. I've been, I said it when they signed him. You bring back Chester. Don't t- start telling me about Brandon Nemo and this and that. Just bring Chester to stock and you know, lock him in and give him the money. He's a guy I wanted. I like that he's, he, he for the most part, has been pretty good. and has been solid left, And when he's played center, he hasn't been bad either. He didn't even get up after what he did last night. And I want to seek him back because I think he could be a real key, a nice little building block, even though he's 30 for the next you know, three or four years. I don't know what you guys have thought. Well, True, I, the- I could uh, yeah, Mike, and I'll go and after here.
1: I, 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 I appreciate the call, Drew. First things first, don't just be satisfied about making a playoffs, because the Nationals played that game. And look at where they are now. Now they're scrambling. And, you know, the Nationals, uh, they have a pretty decent payroll. They've had to make some decisions with LaRoche and Blevins and cut some, make some trades, you'd think, or let some guys go that they could pretty much use Adam LaRoche right now. They need some offense. So don't be satisfied with that. I definitely am concerned about the bullpen. Uh, Matt's in the bullpen is something interesting. I don't know. I mean, you hear about this guy Smoker down in double A. I'm not sure you want to mess around with a minor leaguer right now. Uh, well, if he's, if he's ready,
2: Mike, for an inning or, or, or situational, I mean, you've got to go with the best one. arms I in your order. Sta- you
1: need a with establishment. You've got a couple of weeks to make a deal. I, think, and I don't know if there's a guy out there. They need to get someone through waivers and make a deal. And someone's going to hold them up for it. I don't know if they want to give up another prospect.
2: Well, look at the raise when Price was coming up in 08. They brought him up, and they used him as a situational guy, out of the pen, the lefty. Uh, wrote him down, you know, he wasn't uh, in their starting rotation in 2008. I think Matts can do that role. He could pitch, you know, in, in the seventh inning, come in, or like last night, he would have been the ideal guy to pitch in the tenth because he would be able to go 10, 11, 12. Cause if you get to extra inning and it becomes a long game, I couldn't agree with Drew Moore. Parnell scares you. I mean, he's coming off the Tommy John. You never know what you're going to get no out of problem. him. I mean, you never. Yeah, no velocity whatsoever, and without velocity, Bobby Parnell is just not a good pitcher. What? And uh, you you hold your breath that the balls that they hit off of him are going to go at somebody. Uh, it's one of those situations where, you know, you've got to just compile the best arms that you have in the organization and put together a, a pen for the late innings. But, you know, with this team, you need to kind of go with the bridge, seven, eight innings out of the starters, and, you know, forget about this pitch count and resting them and all that stuff. They're 20-something years old. They've got a whole career ahead of them. In six years, Scott Boris has taken, you, know, or, or, you know, at the end of his six-year stint, Scott Boris has taken Matt Harvey on the mark so who cares where his arm is in four years you know what i'm saying like don't worry about you know four years from now with matt harvey just pitch them get the most out of them Go for it now. Uh, you know, Matt's get ready, train them to pitch out of the bullpen th- down the stretch. You've got Clifford, you got familiar. Uh, you know, like I, I wouldn't mind getting an extra arm if they can get somebody through waivers, but I'm not going to you know, sell out a top prospect to do so and, and go for it. I mean, this is the time. The time is now you've got a four game lead, the loss column on this national team. I think this national team is vastly overrated. You take Bryce Harper off of that offense and there's, you know, there's nobody on that team that you would say, oh, That guy is somebody that's going to scare me on a night in and night out basis. I mean, they have a couple of decent bats on that team, but nothing like, you know, that's a superstar level. And you look at the starting rotation, Mike, you compare the nationals to the Mets. I mean, I'll match the Mets up. DeGrom, you know, Carlos Gonzalez said the other day, Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball right now, based on what he's seen, and and you can't really argue that. I mean, I mean, yeah, the wins and losses aren't there because of the lack of support early on, but DeGrom has pitched great. Harvey's got it going. Syndergaard, I think, is still a a little bit of an enigma, but you got the Colon is starting to regenerate himself again, the veteran that he is, needs to seem to have found a consistent level. I mean, this team is built for now and you know, and the future. And now is the time to go for it. And uh, I, I just think that this is an exciting time. You've got seven weeks, but with this pitching staff, like this team is ready to win, and they and they can win if they get in, uh, because in a short series, if you throw those big three. Or you know, however they decide to you know compile their a rotation because don't forget one of those guys, Niese, could go to the bullpen in the postseason or Syndergaard, depending on how you want to do it. You want to go Harvey, uh, you know, Degrom, and then who do you go three, four, and uh, three and four in the postseason? One of those guys I, you'd have to obviously use Cologne probably in uh, in a starting rotation, being the vet. You put Syndergaard or Nice is going to go to the bullpen too if you did get to the postseason.
1: Mojo, here's a name. It's on a team that's out of the race. He's making quite a bit of money even next year, but you can buy him out uh, for one and a half million bucks. I don't know if they can aff- – I don't know if it fits in the budget. I don't know what they would well, want. Well, no, they on. can afford it now, Mike, because
2: you're drawing 38,000 and AJ, you 40,000 people Preller, a night.
1: A.J. Preller an odd GM, but Joaquin Benoit was a name we heard before. I think th- – I mean, I'm going down the non-contenders. There's not a lot out there. This is a guy that has closed games before. Uh, has a 2.170 ERA. Um, you know, a little bit wild at times, the walks, but you know, nothing crazy. Um, I, I think they almost need to go out and get it on. I'll tell you what, Mojo, last night, once that game got to extra innings and once Clippard and Familia were out
2: of the game. Yeah, you, you knew the Pirates good. now had the – I didn't either. I, was, I knew – In I,
1: playoffs, that's the problem. You can't expect right. – you get into a series against the Dodgers, you can't expect – um, to
2: not be in a war. That's, it, that's the Dodgers. Do I'm telling you, Mike, I, don't, I wouldn't put all my chips on the Dodgers. They've only got a two-and-a-half game lead. All of those moves they've made, Latos, Wood, Johnson, all those guys they've brought in are all getting lit up like Christmas trees. I mean, other than their, their, their top two guys in Greinke and, and Kershaw, they're st- – Starting pitching and their bullpen. You know, the back end guy is the closer is good, but other than that, the bullpen is suspect. And those three, four, and five guys, you don't know what you're going to get with the Dodgers. The Giants have been there before, they're getting healthy. Pence is coming back. Posey's finding his stride. Kane is finding his stride. I mean, the, the Giants are making their move. I wouldn't you know, put all my chips on the Dodgers as being a guarantee out of that uh, Western division. And like I said, I think it's going to be Cubs and Pirates for the wild card, and I think the, you know, the Dodgers are going to have to fight off the Giants uh, for that the division. The
1: Cubs look like Doug Flynn said. The Cubs look, uh, look tough. Well, the Cubs are, are tough. And, okay. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, I'm saying the Cubs, I'm telling you, they've got a manager that knows what he's doing. I mean, you, you look at the three managers in that central division, and there's where, you know, those three guys and Bochy are, are huge advantages down the stretch because they know how to manage – postseason you know you're I will get into this next week you know I, I'll, I'll be back again with you next week and we'll get into the, the merits of your your favorite manager Terry Collins but you go down the stretch I don't put a lot of merit in Matt Williams I don't put a lot of merit in Dom Mattingly you know your boy Terry we all know how you feel about him but those managers between Matheny and Madden and Hurdle and Bochy those four guys have huge you know uh, assets to their their respective teams down the stretch as far as maneuver pitching staffs and making the right moves and resting guys and stuff like that. So those are big factors to, to look into as you go down the final seven weeks as well.
1: Well, yeah, right. You will be my co-host for the next few weeks as uh, our buddy Joe Bono continues his European vacation. Instead of uh, the Griswolds, it's uh, Joe Bono's European vacation. I um, want to thank Brian Costello of the New York Post. Check him out on Twitter at Brian I want to thank Doug Flynn, of course, our buddy Jim Mojo-Morrison. For subbing in today. Check us out live or on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silver Media at Jim Mojo Morrison. And uh, go to the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page or check us out on iTunes. Mojo, a lot of baseball this week and hopefully a little bit of a calmer week at Jets Camp. Maybe we get more into the Giants next week. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. Enjoy your weekend. I'll see you next week, my friend.
6: All right. Have a great one.